0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, O Treasure of every good and bestower of life, come and dwell us and cleanse us from every stain, and save our souls, O Good One. Sit down. After people started listening to the last talk, number 70, on the upbringing of children, I have received some feedback and all of it was very positive and people said that it helped them quite a lot. So obviously today we're gonna do part two. One of the emails that I received, the person wrote the following. He says, I have concerns about raising children in our times any light you can shed on these matters, either to me or in the future talk, will be very much appreciated. And his question is a question a lot of parents ask. It's difficult to bring up children in our times because everything's just so bad. Others who are thinking to get married, maybe they think, is there any point because you can't bring up children in our times? And um, comments like that. And some of you might have had it, but a lot of people do have it. So what I answered him, I didn't answer in my own words. I answered him in the words of St. Paisios, who actually was asked that same thing. I'm going to read it to you, and we're going to see how we should think. Should we think like that? Because there's a lot of sin, there's a lot of uh, bad things happening in the world. What's the point of bringing up children? There might be a nuclear war. There's this, there's that. Children on drugs. So that question does arise. So let's see what he says. He says, Elder, in the book, by the way, in his book, they usually say Yerunda, that's a Greek word, but I'll just say elder so everyone can understand. Elder, many people today don't want to have children because they see the kind of world they will bring their children into. Pollution from chemicals, nuclear energy, life full of anxiety wild society, meaning sinful society, wars. If we are already in the time of the Antichrist, it seems to me maybe it's not worth getting married and having children. And the elder answered, who's now a canonised saint, no, Thanasi, it's not like this. Didn't Christians at the time of the persecutions get married? He means the Christians of the first centuries, 2,000 years ago. As you know, Christianity was persecuted for the first 300 years by the Roman Empire. And if you're a Christian, pretty much it meant you're gonna be killed, you, your children. And there was only some little periods of some respite in some areas, but pretty much it was a continual persecution. The Roman Empire passed a law which said any citizen of Rome who knows that someone is a Christian is allowed to kill that person. And all of you, most of you, I hope, have read the Lives of Saints on that. So he said, but even though that was the case, the Christians of those times still got married and had children. And the same happened when a lot of the areas of the Roman Empire that was under the Byzantine Empire, later on fell under the Arabs. And the Arabs would treat the Orthodox not very good. And even so, Orthodox Christians were still getting married and having children. And then we also had the time of the... uh, under the Turks. Many parts of Greece were under the Turks for 400 years. Others in the north, towards Serbia and all those other countries, 500 years. And and in... um, Turkey, Asia Minor and those areas where there was Greeks living, after the fall of Constantinople, they lived under the Turks in horrible conditions for centuries. Most of them, I think, left around the 1950s, 1960s. But up to that time, they lived in those difficult times. They still got married, they still had children. And he says, um, they married and had children. They had their hope in Christ, not in people. They had their hope in Christ and not in people. So you don't have even trust in yourself and say how am I going to do it, how am I going to do it, just put trust in God and then God will help as he did to all those other people that lived in very difficult times. Oh I forgot about communism. Communism in most countries they pretty much ruled for some for 50 years some for 70 years or so more and yet Those who were Christians, many of them secretly, still got married and still had children. This way of thinking is faint-heartedness. In one minute, God can change everything, straighten all the crooked things, people make plans. God has his own plan also. Which is true. Whoever thought that we would get rid of the Turks? Whoever thought that we would get rid of the communists? And yet... We see now Russia, where before they were blowing up churches, where we see all these golden cupolas, what are they called, with gold crosses spread throughout, the monasteries opening up. At at the height of their persecution over there, there was hardly no churches left. There's only some show churches, like in Moscow, like the St. Basil's Cathedral there. But most churches were blown up. Icons were burnt. Monastics were killed. Priests were killed. Bishops were killed. Nuns were killed, all those things. And yet, look at Russia now. And Romania and Bulgaria and Serbia and all these other countries. But, but uh, Albania was really bad even up to a few years ago before communism fell. There they had no churches at all. No churches at all. And um, they used to interrogate the children at school to ask them, did your parents give you a red egg? Did your parents sing some things? And they used to try and trick the children. they say, yeah, yeah, we got some red eggs. Then the Albanians would know that they were celebrating Christianity and then they would take the children away from them and maybe even kill the parents. So these are very difficult times and yet now Christianity is free in Albania. The only respite the Albanians used, to, the Greeks that were living there would get, is that the parts of Greece which bordered on Albania, where they had a big electric wire fence, the Albanians, so that their Greeks can't escape, the Orthodox people there, and this side where it was free, Greece, they would set up loudspeakers, for example, during the holy night of the Resurrection. And sing Christ is risen, and then they would play him very loud so that the Greeks on the other side can hear. They were very much bad. and that was only up to a few years ago. If you only knew how many times the devil wrapped the earth in his tail so as to destroy it, but God doesn't allow him, he ruins his plans. The evil that the devil goes to do, God uses and produces great good. Don't worry. If the devil was given power by God, he would destroy the earth. And he does do a lot of damage, all with God's permission, for whatever reason God chooses. It could be because of our sins. It could be also to bring good out of it. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I just told you before, how many saints were produced during the Turkish times? How many saints did the church produce during communist times? Thousands and thousands of saints. Like 9-11, for example. That was evil. They knocked down the towers. And yet, out of that evil came good. What was the good? The bravery of the police, the firefighters, the people there in New York helping. Other states came in and helped. And even though it was bad, all that kind of shone to the world and how much good came out of that. Remember, people were given food, people were given their houses. And Elder Paisos does use that expression a lot, the devil and his tail. It's an expression, the devil and his evil ways. And he says that he would destroy the world, but God doesn't allow him. We have to understand, the saints always thought in that way. When they saw evil, they go, God has permitted that. Not willed it. God doesn't will bad, but he permits it for our sins. And sometimes as well, so that people can progress and show themselves as saints and become holier. So now we have another thing that St. Bacius said somewhere else. He says, when from a young age a child becomes filled with Christ goes to church with his parents, communes, chants, prays, later on when he gets older, leaves home and ends up possibly in an unfavourable environment, it's not difficult for him. Now, what does that mean? He means that you can bring up a child in all the ways of our church and then for some reason they go to the army or they move into state, or they go somewhere else or they go to university or whatever, whatever, he says those children, as grown-ups, will not find it difficult. What does he mean by will not find it difficult? We'll see. It's like wood which has been drenched in linseed oil. You know, the floorboards, they use linseed oil and it becomes waterproof so the wood doesn't rot. And he says just like wood doesn't rot with linseed oil, and he said after wood, it doesn't absorb rain, that's the wood, and it is protected by the oil and it won't take water in. It repels it. He's comparing a child brought up in the Christian faith like wood which has been drenched in linseed oil. They're protected. They have Christ and therefore whatever evil tries to penetrate them, it won't happen. Unfortunately today, not many children are brought up properly in the church. Most children are brought up not by their parents, they're brought up by the daycares, by the school, and by the TV. They have more influence on the children than the parents. And that's why the children aren't protected and that's why when they grow up a little bit they tend to go off pretty quickly even from when they're teenagers. Most of them now they can go off 13, 14 having sexual relations, drugs, um, drinking. This is all from very young age now. Why? Because they don't have, as St Paisio says, they don't have... Christ in them. They're not protected. Now I'm going to read you something from Saint Porphyrios because this talk's based on the teachings of Saint Porphyrios and Saint Paisos, like we did in Talk 70. Some people make the mistake of saying, since the parents are religious, that means spiritual, and pray meditate on Holy Scripture and bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, it is natural that they will become good children. But nevertheless, we see the very opposite result, on account of coercion. He's saying that people logically think, "Okay, those kids, they've been brought up by parents who go to church, they read the Bible, and their children have been brought up in some Christian way. And therefore, those children should come out good. But St Porfirio says, we see the very opposite result. In other words, those kids don't come out good. The question is, why? Why don't they come out good? If they're brought up, well, in the first part, St Paisio says, if they're brought up in the church, then they're protected, like wood that's been treated with linseed oil but here Saint Porphyrios says they've been brought up in the church but they go off does that mean that Saint Porphyrios and Saint Paisos don't agree you see when people don't know how to read things they can say oh that's confusing because that saint saying that if they're brought up in the church they should be good but we missed the one word at the end of the sentence. But nevertheless, we see the very opposite result on account of coercion. Saint Porphyrios was against children being forced to be religious, and that's very important. An elder. Paisio says the same thing, but he might say that somewhere else. St Paisio is saying, in general, if you bring up your children properly in the church, they'll be protected, they'll be good. But St Prophius is saying that they don't turn out good if you bring them up in the church, if you force them. And that is going to be, hopefully, God willing, the next talk, part three, where I'm going to speak a lot about that, but I'm not going to focus on that today, because I've got another theme I want to get through, but it's good for you to remember. And you can see children who have been forced, they're not free. They hate going to church. They don't like praying. They don't like reading because the whole upbringing was all forced. But let's wait for the next talk to do more on that one. I have a lot of good things on that one now saint paulus now let's go back to him let's see what else he says a child needs a lot of love and affection and much guidance i underline that and if you just if you just take away that and you leave now you will pretty much understand the whole talk a child needs a lot of love and affection and much guidance A child needs you to sit by its side, listen to its problems, caress it and kiss it. And I went to find the definition, because some of you aren't aware, what caress means. Caress means touch or stroke gently or lovingly. And the thesaurus, which gives you different words, it says that caress can be stroke, touch, pat, embrace, hug, cuddle, kiss. So, I'll read it again. A child needs you to sit by its side, listen to its problems, caress it and kiss it. Now, I have to say, and I don't mean to be negative, hardly no one does that. Hardly no one does that. Hardly no one really sits and listens to their children. Listens to their problems. And then you wonder, oh, My daughter's now 15 or 16 and she doesn't come to me with her problems. Well, did you listen to her problems when she was one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old? Did you speak to them? Did you speak to the boy? What did those children do when they had problems? How did they work them out? If you didn't speak to them, then how did they work out the problems? They didn't. They just went inside themselves and kept it all inside of them, and nothing was worked out. Now, I gave you an example once years ago, um, and you see it all the time, you see children, as they're growing up, they might have a certain fear. So, for example, one day I was walking with a family, and some um, hoodlums there, they stole a car and they set it alight, and it went on fire. And the child that was there saw that and the child was only what five six years old saw that and he started crying because he's never seen that before what those parents did was usually nothing or they might just pat on the head and that's about it but they don't explain to the child okay look that's some bad people they set it alight don't worry about it, the fire people are going to come, the police are going to... And you settle the child down, and it begins to understand. So it begins to learn skills of how to resolve anxiety, fear, in themselves. But no-one sits down highly with them, so they don't know how to resolve problems, how they should feel. And so therefore their emotions are all over the place, they're all distorted... And we see the mess of today. And that's why some of you might be surprised. What's a saint doing speaking about these things? I thought the church was to do with baptism or going to church for a marriage. People have no idea what the church is. They just think it's, those, it's coming to church now and then for someone's baptism or for a wedding. Maybe you go on Easter to commune when they don't even confess. And things like that. they got no idea. When Russia started becoming free, the people there were flocking to the church. Now, the heterodox, meaning the the others, the Catholics, the Protestants, were quite jealous and saying, why are... So many people go into the church, the Orthodox Church, but not to our churches. And then they asked a Russian clergyman why. He says, because we deal with the problems of the people, everything, everything. They deal with everything that exists in, the, in the, with their children, with marital difficulties. With um, um, Even if they have farms, there's prayers for uh, livestock, there's prayers for the crops, there's prayers for so many things. So the church is involved and that's what I try to do is to understand that the church is in every part of our life. Spiritual life is every part of our life, not just Sunday or Sunday school and the rest of the time is paganism. It's in every part of our life. So, if a mother takes an upset and mischievous child into her arms to caress and kiss it, the child will calm down. If the young child is filled with affection and love, later that child will be strong and able to face the problems of life. Now to me that fills me. That that's very, very powerful. When the child is mischievous or in fear, has anxiety, etc., all the mother didn't say the father by the way, all the mother has to do is to hold the child, caress it, kiss it, and if it's a bit older, talk to the child. And then the child, he said, will calm down. And if the young child is filled with affection and love, later that child will be strong and able to face the problems of life. So today, do we see people facing the problems of life? No. Then what does that mean? Mathematical. If A equals B, B equals C, etc., A equals C. So what's the um, thing? If a person is not facing the problems of life, it means that What? You can, can someone tell me that means that they, they weren't filled with? What are the two words? Love. love and affection. That's the answer. Love and affection. The problem is what is love? What is the proper love? Because some people think buying their children video games is love, but we'll go into that later on. But let's just stick here. The love and affection, and it will make that child strong. And be able to face the problems. Now I'm going to ask a question and then we'll answer it more towards the end. When a child is at daycare or goes to school early because can, you, can you can send them your four years old now. Then they're upset. They've got fear. They've got anxiety or something happens. Who's going to Caress and kiss it. Who's going to sit down with that child, listen to that child, try to help that child? The teacher, some will say. But The teacher has 30 students. How's she going to do that? 21, 21 22, I don't know how many they've got now. Used to be 30. Back in my days, I think it was even 40. So, how are they going to do that? And um, by the way, it's against the law. You're not, they're not even allowed to touch the children anymore because they'll, they'll be looked at as child molesters. So, um, and there's some truth to that. But teachers are scared. One teacher told me, she's got older children, that sometimes they have, uh, especially when they come from overseas, and they've got a lot of anxiety and fear, they're in this school for the first time, and she can tell that they're very nervous. Sometimes she just goes, you know, near the child and might just put her hand on on the shoulder. And she says that they just melt and they calm down. Just the hand on the shoulder. Even though it's dangerous because you could get in trouble. Now, at the, at the daycare, who's going to do that? Oh, the daycare teacher. What are the ratios now? What? What is it? One to eight? One to six? One to ten? One to five? One to five. for the babies it's 1 to 5 for the older ones i think it's a little bit bigger i it's, do it's like even though i did read that in australia we have better ratios than a lot of other countries but nevertheless but nevertheless those people don't have much time to give quality time so when the child is as is at its most vulnerable when it really needs help especially in the early years when they don't understand their life. They don't understand. They can't understand why that child's bullying, why that child hit that person, whatever. They don't understand those things. As they get older, they understand a little bit better. But when they're especially young, they don't understand. So where's mum? Where's mum? Mum's in the board meeting. Mum's at the shop. And those children not having their needs met. It goes on. Today, however, most children get to see their parents for just a little bit of at night and don't get enough parental love. A lot of parents who are teachers or doctors and work mostly with children give their affection to other people's children so when they return home they're so worn out that they have no tenderness left for their own children. They are just too tired. The battery has run out. He specifically picks the teacher and the doctor because they deal with children. And a lot, of, say a lot of women are teachers, especially primary school. Most elementary school, primary school teachers are women. And they've got to spend their time with the children. And at the end, obviously, when they come home, they're exhausted, especially when you're doing teaching and medical doctors, because it's just so taxing. Other jobs are taxing too, but those jobs are very taxing because you're dealing with people and you've got to... You know, your emotions just get um, burnt out. And he says that those people who are taking care of other people's children don't have any energy left to take care of their own children. The father comes home sits in his comfortable chair, opens the newspaper and doesn't spend any time with his children. His child comes near him and instead of speaking or caressing the child, he shooes the child away. Meanwhile, the mother is busy getting dinner ready and so neither can she spend some time with the children. When this becomes part of everyday life, children grow up deprived of love. Of course, Elder Pais just passed away, fell asleep in 1994. The internet just started a little bit there. What would he say if he still lived in our times? He wouldn't just say about the about father reading the newspaper. you would have to say they're on their iPads, they're on their computers, they're surfing the net, they're doing their emails, they're doing their Snapchats, they're doing their Instagrams, they're doing their Facebooks. They're spying on other people's Facebooks. What are they doing? What, where they're up to? People who have full-time jobs just looking at what other people are doing on their Facebooks, which I find boring. But they somehow, they seem to spend hours doing it. Now, while they're doing that, what happens to their children? Who's taking care of their children? Oh, that's right. Bugs Bunny or Donald Duck, all these cartoons that they that that they watch, just get the video, put it in. I went to the doctor uh, a few months ago, and there was um, a mother there, and she had those things, whether well, iPads, whatever they're called, and the child was a little bit starting to be a bit, little bit restless as a child, because the child was only two years old, and straight away she turned on something on the iPad like a cartoon, some type of thing, so the child can look at it, so the child can be occupied, and the child to me looked out of it. It it just didn't look it didn't look well. So the the time that people spend, women on their makeup, their hair at the gym, doing whatever else they do, men doing all their stupidities. The time that a lot of people spend on those things means that's less time for the children. And when there's less time for the children, that means you're not giving affection and love. And when you don't give affection and love, your children are going to grow up and not going to be able to face the problems of life. Now, some of you would say, does that mean that we shouldn't have a private life? That's really, really a silly, stupid little argument. Obviously, you've got to have something, but we're talking about Facebooks and things for hours on end. That's time that you can spend with your children. That's just excuses in sins. Everyone has to examine themselves to see, am I really spending time with my children or am I spending more time on these electronic things and other other interests. Now women might say, so shouldn't I go to the gym to be healthy? See, when people speak like that, that means that they're making, as we say, excuses in sins. If you you need to go because you want, because you've got a health problem and whatever, then you've got to make sure that your children aren't suffering, that they're not deprived. However, if you're going so that you can have a bikini body, as they say, so that the cellulite doesn't show or some other things like that, if you just don't wear inappropriate clothing, then you won't have to worry about the cellulite. No one's going to see it. But because people are so obsessed about the body, the body, the body, therefore they really got to work out for hours on end. Why? So let's just say it works. Most of the time it doesn't work because at the end, once they stop it, then they become um, bloated. They become like their elephants or something. And like diets, exercise, they really put their whole heart into it. But when they stop, they blow up. but let's just say it works let's just say you're able to go to the beach with a bikini body, whatever you want you're able to fit into the size 10 or you're able to, whatever at least you'll have a nice body so that when you take your child to the psychiatrist to get its, its repeats of the medication at least you'll be thin so that's, that's one benefit of, of doing that Meanwhile, when this becomes part of everyday life, children grow up deprived of love. That's true. So here, the elder obviously is speaking more of the man working and the woman probably being a stay in a stay-at-home, could be, or maybe it was a working mother. But um, if one of the parents was at home the mother preferably because that's as we'll, know, we'll notice later on that's the most important person in the child's life which even research say, you know, people that don't even believe in God uh, imagine what would happen to the children who have both parents working now what I read so far pretty much except for the, the spiritual, this what I just read now about showing children love and affection, you could even write that in a secular book not a spiritual book and people would get benefit from that people don't even go to church it's just common just that's applicable to us someone who's orthodox or someone who's not and that's what a lot of people are saying now love affection show love to your children this and yeah whatever so you'd probably read something similar like that it may be in a magazine except for you won't read in the magazine any reference negative to women who take their children to childcare. they somehow do it in a way, but we'll read that later on. Now, here's an example. A family with, say, three children. The first one is very disturbed. The second one is disturbed, but less disturbed. The third one is disturbed, but even less disturbed than the The second one, so we have three children that are pretty much disturbed. The first one is not close to the parents at all. The second one is not close to the parents, but a little bit closer to the mother. We'll go up, have a little hug now and then, maybe open up at times, but still very closed. And the third one is closer to the mother. Why the difference if they were all brought up by the same parents? That's the question. Why are those children different, same parents? Now, let me answer. The first child received hardly any attention or affection. Hardly any, it was left a lot in the cot, wasn't held much. The second one received a little bit more attention than the first one. The third one received much more attention and affection from the mother, but also got some attention from the older two children. Now, I remember the mother ringing me up about the second child, and she said... I'm suffering. I go, what's wrong? I can't put him down. He has to be on me continually. I have to have him on the, on the harness continually. I have to wash the dishes. It's, it's on me, continually on me. And I said to her, I feel for you because my back's hurting and I'm suffering. And I said to her, look, I feel sorry for you. I understand that's really ridiculous. But however, if you endure a little bit, if you endure it, the, that child will not come out like the first child that you never hardly held. That child will be more, more open to you, more loving. So she did it. She did actually um, hold him quite a lot. And what do we notice? The first child, nothing at all. The second child, more he'll go up to the mother maybe and give her a hug now and then, still very close, um, because there was other problems in the upbringing. However, it's still better than the first one. And he will, at times, open up. The first one, you can't get anything much out of that person. The third child... She even held breastfed more than the other two children. See, one of them, the first one was only breastfed around 10 months, the second one um, stopped of its own after one year, something like that, but she held it more. So the first one was breastfed 10, but she didn't hold it much. The second one was breastfed a little bit more, about a year, but she held that child more. The third one she breastfed for around two years, and she held, held it a lot. But that child also got attention from the other two. Very important. And the third child always goes to the mother, hugs the mother, talks to the mother a little bit more than the, the other two, and opens up her feelings more than the other ones. Now, in today's world, they say, oh, that's anecdotal, that's just... There's no scientific evidence. That's the famous words now. There's no scientific evidence, so you cannot make a conclusion from that that it's because of that. Now, what do we answer to that? Well, personally, for me, I don't really care. I'm not going to sit down with a Bunsen burner and some beaker test tubes and start doing experiments to prove the theory. By the way, now things are changing and there are a lot of scientists, a lot of psychologists, doctors who are doing research and they're coming up with pretty much the same thing of what I just said. The more you hold the child, the more you breastfeed, etc. it's going to be a stronger child, a more balanced child, a healthier child especially mentally. So let's repeat those words, St. Paisius said, if the young child is filled with affection and love, later that child will be strong and able to face the problems of life. Keep that in your mind all the time. Very important. Now, from the last talk, I'm going to read some parts and I'll summarise a few things what I said. St. Paisius, parents don't treat their children with affection and love and this is why they may have psychological problems later, and when he says that, he means also emotional problems, because emotional, psychological, two different things. Emotional is their feelings; they they get angry, they don't know, they get depressed, they don't, they got anxiety. That's like a bit of uh, to do with their emotions a lot. But there's also psychological in their way of thinking. And in the last talk Saint Porfirios love harmony and understanding between parents are what are required for the children this provides the children a great sense of security and certainty love harmony and understanding before we spoke about how the parents should be towards their children now St. Porphyrios is saying how the parents should be to each other because that's also important. That's why I said about the other example before, about the three children, there were some other factors. There were some other factors of why, that was, why even the one that was breastfed for two years and was held more, etc. why there were still some problems. Because what was missing from the couple? Love, harmony and understanding between the parents. And when you've got parents who are shown love and affection to their children, especially the mother in the first years, and the parents have love, harmony and understanding between themselves, then you've got the full recipe for success, both in a worldly sense and in a spiritual sense. Now, what does St. Porphyrios mean when he says that when parents have love, harmony and understanding, this provides the children a great sense of security and certainty. Security means they feel safe. Certainty, they have trust. They haven't got this anxiety, this continual anxiety. What's going to happen? Because when Children see the parents not having love, etc. That that upsets them. That turns them upside down, and that causes a lot of problems for them. And that's why a lot of them have anxiety and this insecurity, and they're emotionally all over the place and things like that. So that's two things that we've learned so far today. Um, oh, one more thing. Saint Porphyrios. This is from the last talk. The behaviour of the children is directly related to the state of the parents. We, we did a lot of that in the last talk, talk 70. A child's behaviour is related directly to the state of the parents. When the children are hurt by the bad behaviour of the parents towards each other, they lose the strength and desire to progress in their lives. They don't have any will to get up and go. It kills them. It really does. Their lives are constructed poorly and the foundation of their soul is in constant danger of collapsing. When parents make mistakes with their children, they're going to produce children which are psychologically disturbed, emotionally disturbed and have no get up and go for life and they're in const- their soul is in constant danger of collapsing. It's like anything that happens to them, they're just like it's, they're, like they're going to implode. It's like they're going to just f- fall into themselves. They can't take things and hence the need for drugs and alcohol. And things. Two things are necessary in the upbringing of children. I summarised it before. A, parents love affection, attention for their children, and B, love, harmony, understanding between the parents. Now, let's go on to uh, the next section, which is something that Saint Paiso says. Children imitate their parents even from the cradle. The cradle, what does the cradle mean? We all know what that means. Even from the cot. Even from the cot, children imitate their parents Parents think that they've got a doll. That's like a doll, like a battery-operated doll. And you can dance, you can do whatever you want, and the doll's not going to be affected. But children aren't dolls. They're humans. And they absorb everything. And people, parents have to understand how important that is. Not to have this idea, I will start teaching the child when it gets three years old or when it starts talking or when it starts walking or whatever people have in their brain or when it starts to, when it may be three years old, whatever. Now, there is a... um, I read it, but I can't remember the exact story, but I'll just tell you roundabout. There was a Greek philosopher back in the pagan times. Parents would take their children to him so that he can teach them and educate them And make them into good people, good citizens. So a father came with his son and said to the teacher, the great great philosopher, "Teacher, I have my son, and I want you to take him under your wing and make him, you know, like wise and virtuous and things like that." And the philosopher said, "How old's your son?" Now, I can't remember the age, but he said something like, um, I think it was maybe two, two years old. He goes, too late. You should have brought him earlier. Even the pagans knew, the ancient Greeks that worshipped statues and stupidities, even they knew that a child's upbringing starts from young. Not later on. What you do with the child in the first couple of years is what is going to determine that child's psychological state, mental state, whatever you want to call it, for the future. So, children imitate their parents even from the cradle. They pick up everything they see the adults doing and record it on their empty cassette tape. Obviously, the older lived in times of cassettes. Now we say CD, or we might say iPhone, or whatever. They record it. Children record, they're like sponges. When they're young, they are like sponges and they can pick up information much more than we can as adults. This is why parents should struggle to cut away their passions. What kind of passions, like what? Anger, irritation, pride. It doesn't matter if some of these passions were inherited from their own parents. Because some people say, that's the way I am, that's the way I am because that's, my parents were like that, therefore I, I'm not responsible for from the way I am now because it's from my parents. And he says it doesn't matter. They will still give an account to God not only for not struggling to rid themselves of them, but also for being responsible in transmitting their passions to their children. Very important. Give an account. We don't, we don't hear that much. Even the priests a lot of times, they don't use those words. Uncomfortable. Makes people upset. Oh, that means there's a judgment. We can't say that to the people. We've got to say nice things. nice things, flowers and things that are nice, you know, very nice, because we're living in a very sensitive world now, so we're not allowed to say anything negative, even though the films that they've produced are horrible and disgusting and scary or whatever. They don't worry about that, but they've got to make sure that people who are responsible for children, which means their parents firstly, that people like priests who are responsible to educate the parents so as to know how to bring up their children... We can't say things that are uncomfortable. But the thing is, whether we wanted to believe it or not, all of us, all of us, including myself, all of us will have to give an account to God on the last judgment for our actions. And he's saying that parents who don't struggle to rid themselves, he didn't say they have to rid themselves. He didn't say that they have to be perfect. He didn't say that they have to be free of jealousy, free of anger, free of hate, free of envy, free of whatever, pride. He didn't say that, free of ego. He said, are struggling to rid themselves. As long as you're struggling, and God will see your struggle. Because we've got to keep in mind that when you are bringing up children, Passions are transferred to the children, whether you know it or not. I'll give you an example. This father rang me up, and I heard this screaming in the background, and I said, what's going on there? And he said, oh, my wife is trying to settle the child down, but it's just screaming and screaming and screaming, and it won't stop. And I said to him... Something's wrong with her. She must be having some bad thoughts. Some bad thoughts are going on in her. Because, are they? Because he was too dopey to actually even see anything. So I said, well, why don't you put the phone down and go and ask her? Go and ask her. So he puts the phone down, and she knew it was me. And the husband asked her, what's going on? Do you have some bad thoughts? And she said, yes. She doesn't like taking care of the children. She has thoughts to hurt the children. So she was like black as the ace of spades, as they say. She was full of bad thoughts and bad... We can use the word energy if you want to. And that was transmitting... Though she was transmitting that to the child, and the child was, was continually... Screaming and shouting, and it came from her. So that's what I'm trying to say, that the state of the parents, especially the mother, does affect the child. We heard about that last talk from the womb, and later on as well. Now, let's stop there. In the last talk, I did say to you that I wanted to tell you something hopeful, because these talks are quite difficult to listen to, because people would just say to themselves, I didn't bring up my children properly, so that can make them hopeless. But also, there are people here who are now adults, who know that they weren't brought up properly, and that their current problems is as a result of their upbringing their psychological problems, whatever problems they've got, a lot of them comes from the way they were brought up. So those people can have maybe anger, can have despair, and the parents can become despairish and say, I've made mistakes, what's going to happen to me? Um, I've made big, big mistakes. I didn't bring up my child. I had my child in front of the TV from young. I took my child to childcare. I did this, I did that. There's a lot of things, and people can become hopeless. And I promised in the last talk I was going to go through that. But I got sick in the last talk, and uh, I had to abruptly end the talk. So I was going to do this at the end. But knowing me, because I talk too much, I probably might not even get to it again. So I said, no, I'm going to put in now. I'm gonna put it in now, so that way, as you now listen to the rest of the talk, you don't sit there depressed or angry or whatever else you feel. Let's see what happens. Well, let's see how Saint Paisios, what he teaches about parents that have made mistakes and about children that have been brought up by parents who made mistakes. So he was asked the question about that, and he says, Children pay for the mistakes their parents make. That's a spiritual law. I know it doesn't sound nice, but it's a spiritual law. The sins of the parents do affect the children. Elder Ephraim, who has established 18 monasteries in Canada and America, and that's not including the ones that he revitalised in Mount Athelps, I think four, and there's others, I think women monasteries in Greece. He's still alive. He's a spiritual child of Elder Joseph the Hesychus. Quite sick now, so he's not seen many people. But one priest went and saw him when he was still, a, you know, not bad, and The elder, who's a very holy man, said to the priest in an agitated way, he goes, Father, you have to educate the people. You've got to tell them. You have to tell them. You have to tell them. The priest says, what do I have to tell them? You have to tell them the reason for their marital problems and the reason for their children having disasters in their lives. You've got to explain to them what it is. And he says, well, what is it? Elder, what, what should I say? He says, you've got to tell them that the sins that they are committing are affecting their marriage and affecting their children. In particular, he said, the sins of sodomy. He specifically actually said that. The sins of sodomy. You need to tell them, because what's happening is that the... The priests of those monasteries are noticing more and more that people are coming to the monasteries and confessing those particular sins. Those particular sins were practiced by a few back in the old days, but because now it's in the magazines, etc. And I have to be specific because you know people might not understand what sodomy means. Some people believe sodomy only means anal sex, but it doesn't. Sodomy means oral and anal sex. It's both. That's why in America, I think the same thing here, but the old, they're pretty much wiping all those laws off the books. But it was against the law for that to happen, even between husband and wife. And even oral sex was termed as sodomy. That's why there's no specific mention of it. That's why that stupid priest that I read to you somewhere back in talk 54, 55, around there, when I read to you from a blog that some woman wrote to this priest on a website, Dear Father, it's called or something. So someone wrote and said, is oral sex a sin? And he says, oh, there's no canon, there's no nothing to say that is, as long as you're comfortable. What a stupid demonic man. He doesn't even know. He doesn't know. Anyway, the point is, that that sin, which is done, whatever, two ways there, is causing a lot of problems. It is abominable. And people don't know this, and I'm just going to touch on it quickly, that people think that that sin between two men is worse. No, no, no. No, the canons say that if two men engage in those sins, they are given three years with no communion. If a husband, an orthodox husband does those things with an orthodox wife, they're given eight years not to commune. Eight years. People don't know that. They go, oh, no, it's only when the homosexuals do it. That's when it's a sin. Yeah, it's a sin, but not as big as when a husband and wife does it. And that's eight years, strictly speaking. They don't stick to those number of years now. They do less. But it's just, oh, I brought it up to so you can understand how serious that sin is And and people need to confess and fix that situation up if they want blessings for their marriage. You know, I I pretty much when couples are at odds with each other, a lot of times all you got to do is ask and say, do you do those things? And pretty much they do. And I said that's the reason why your marriage is coming apart. God's grace leaves the marriage, leaves the family when sins like that, just like magic. That's also very bad. So are those sins. So I explained that none of you can get scandalised because it's all over the news. It's all over the TV now. It's all like uh, easy. Saint Paul would say they didn't want to speak about those things because it was horrible. But those things are like a dime a dozen now, and everyone it's everywhere. So no one's going to be defiled, but at least you know the truth. Children pay, says Elder Paesios, for the mistakes their parents make. Some parents destroy their children, but God is not unjust. Now we come to the hopeful part. Some parents do destroy their children, but God is not unjust. He has great and special love for those children who have been wronged in this world, either by their parents or by others. So children that are innocent who are brought up by parents who did a very bad job, they weren't given the opportunities, the proper opportunities to be brought up in a Christian manner properly or whatever, those children receive a special love from God. When parents are the reason why children take the wrong path in life, God will not abandon those children, for they are entitled to divine help. God will provide so that the children are helped. For example, we see some young persons, says the saint, even older ones suddenly turn their lives around. How true. I was not brought up in the church. I don't think we even had a Bible in the house, nothing. The only thing that I got close to the church was on Saturday, my mother would light the oil lamp every Saturday night and she would sense the house in which I used to do the... She used to come and do the censor in front of me and I did the Christ. As I grew up older, I said, I'm not doing it. Because later on you become possessed, you see, so you're not going to do things like that. So we weren't brought up, many of you weren't brought up, And we see so many people coming back to the church from families where they weren't even brought up at all in orthodoxy. I remember a certain case, says the saint. There was a family with two children, a boy and a girl. The father, the mother and the daughter were atheists. Probably orthodox. He he doesn't say this, but from from what I can work out. Probably orthodox externally, but in reality, atheists. The son, at first, got involved with Marxism, which is the opposite of capitalism, like Marx, the one who started this communism and all that. It's a political ideology. He wasn't comforted there, so he tried Hinduism. You see, the soul always craves, always desires spiritual. And that's why people always seek the spiritual things, just about everyone. We'll always seek spiritual, whether it's spirituality in occultism, whether it's spirituality in some heresy, whether it's spirituality in Hinduism or spirituality in Eastern religions and things like that. It's spiritual. So the child, as he he was older, he saw that this political movement and theory or whatever, ideology, wasn't satisfying his soul. So did he come to orthodoxy? No, because his parents didn't bring him up in orthodoxy. So he went to what he kind of, what was around, maybe some friends gave him a book. So he tried Hinduism, but he wasn't comforted there either, and he came to the holy mountain. He came often to my Kalivi, which is where the house in which Elder Pais used to live, And he also went to other Kelia, which means other houses around Mount Athos, and spoke to holy, you know, spiritual fathers. Throughout this time, his parents kept saying, My Christ, my Panagia, Panagia is Greek for the Mother of God, protect our child. All of a sudden, now the parents, who I said I thought they were probably Orthodox, turned to the church when they saw their child. Lost and and um, wandering around and things like that. So maybe they didn't even know that he went to Manaphos. Maybe he was just missing. They don't know where he was. My Christ, my Panaya, protect our child. After staying at Manaphos for some time and having recovered a bit, recovered a bit meaning from his um, spiritual sickness, because when you delve in these things, it really makes you. It really takes a lot out of you and became spiritually strong, he returned home. He was not suited to the monastic life. So the boy, or the man, whatever he was, he tried to become a monk, but he wasn't suited for that. But he did become spiritually stronger. He became orthodox, one can say. And he helped both his parents spiritually. So he changed, but he also helped his parents to become more in the Orthodox Church, even though, you see, parents can be hard to go to church if they go at all and things like that, and they can still maybe say, oh, you know, Mother of God, please. Or maybe little things like that, but they're not really living church lives. So um, these parents were starting a little bit to change, but then when this boy changed... Then they changed even more. He helped them. He brought from Manathos, the holiness of Manathos, back to his family. And that happens a lot. A lot. By the way, the Slavic churches don't have this, which is wrong. They should. But the proper practice is when someone has... Joined to another religion, whether it's Catholicism, whether it's some Protestants, whether it's um, Hinduism, etc., when they return to the church, the rule is that they need to be chrismated. You know, when the baby gets baptized, they get immersed three times, then after that, the priest anoints them with the myrrh. They're chrismated. So, um, they need to be chrismated to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which they lost by joining these heretical or other groups like that. But the Russians, Serbs, I think a lot of them, they don't understand that. But if you read the Lives of Saints, and Elder Paisios, I've even found a section where he says that if they've left the church and they've gone to these other places, they need to be chrismated. They need to be joined to the church again. And that's why, uh, when I went to a monastery in Greece, they told me that a lot of people who have been mixed up in Eastern religions, etc., they have a lot of problems. And even when they come back to the church, they're they're a mess. A lot of times they can't lead spiritual lives. And they said, those people need to be chrismated. And you see the ones who were in Turkish times, if they left the church and became Muslims... They were chrismated when they returned to the church. It's in all the lives of saints. But not only that, say a child was taken from its parent when it was young and it was forced to convert. The child didn't even know. He was baptized, but later on he became Muslim. When the child found out that he was Orthodox and he returned back to the church, it doesn't matter that he willingly didn't become Muslim. The priests in those times would chrismate that child or that person. Now I see his father, the elder says, is the first to come to vigils, the church services. He reads in church and at home he reads the vespers, the compline service and the paraklesis. Now this is God's providence at work. The devil tried to do harm to that family but God turned things around and brought everybody into line. See what a disaster? And that's what we see today in a lot of families. Maybe some parents don't change, but but kids change. Sometimes the kids don't change, but the parents change. Then the person asked him, what happened to the girl elder? The saint says, she too is coming around Gradually, God provides opportunities. The person says, Elder, some parents who embarked on living a spiritual life at an advanced age regret that they didn't give their children a Christian upbringing when they were young. So the first thing was to do with what happens to the children who weren't brought up properly. Now we're going to parents who brought up their children, didn't bring up their children in the church, and now the children are older, or whatever age they are, and they regret they regret that they didn't bring up their children spiritually. So let's see what hope the saint gives for those parents. If they have true repentance and beg God to help their children, God will do something for them. But beautiful advice. Firstly, you can't just sit there and go, I didn't bring up my children, I made mistakes. That can turn you to hopelessness. That can become like where you just... Give up everything? No. The first thing you do is to repent. If they have true repentance, true repentance, and beg God and say, and and say, God, please help my children. I didn't bring them up properly. I made a mistake, but now I know that you can help them. Please help them, protect them, bring them back, bring them to the church, etc. God will do something for them. He will throw them a lifesaver to help them escape the storm they're in. So as a result of them not being brought up in the church, a lot of children are tossed to and fro from life, out of it, psychologically disturbed maybe, having bad marriages themselves. And he says that if you pray and show repentance, then God will throw those children, whatever age they are, a lifesaver, something to help them come back to him, to God. Even if there are no people who will be there to help or guide them, it may be that something they will see will contribute to turning their lives around and out of the storm. Someone might give them a book, or someone might speak to them, or they might go to church for a baptism and they hear something, or God might give them a sickness and they turn. God might give them something happening to their children and they come back to the church There's all these different ways that someone can return to the church. Keep in mind that those parents had good intentions but they weren't helped by their family when they were young and so they're entitled to divine help. So parents today who didn't bring up their children properly also were not brought up themselves properly. And St. Patius is saying... God will give his help to those parents because they weren't brought up properly and to their children who they made mistakes with. That's quite hopeful, isn't it? They had good intentions meaning that parents in general want the best for their children. But, um, but ignorance, influence... makes these parents do the wrong things. There are parents who have bad intentions, few of them, but most parents want the best for their children, but unfortunately they don't do the right thing. Elder, the person said, some children live a spiritual life, but encounter many difficulties caused by their indifferent parents. So there are children who could be older now who are living a church life, but their parents are completely cut off. And the saint says, just as he does for orphans, God shows more care for these children than he does for those whose parents live a spiritual life. So we've got two families. One family is spiritual, the other family is not. The spiritual family brought up their children properly. The non-spiritual family, out of ignorance, whatever reason, didn't bring up their children properly. Um, Those children, he says will be counted as orphans because their parents aren't really proper parents. Just like we read in the Bible that God gives special care to orphans, he also will give special care to those whose parents are completely indifferent and don't care and against the church, etc. So that's the first part of the talk. Unfortunately, I've only done six pages, so we're not going to finish this one either. Before we just go to the break, any questions? A question, so yes. In regards to when your
1: child is misbehaving, uh, now you're saying, which is sort of correct, like you give them love and attention to calm them down. But say these other, sort of, you'd say, secular books giving, giving parental oh. advice can sometimes say yeah, that that will give them more motivation to misbehave, to get that attention. So, how would you balance that out? So, if you're giving them attention when they may misbehave, misbehaving, then they misbehave even
0: more just to get that... If the children are misbehaving to get attention, it must mean that they weren't getting much attention. Because why else would they be doing that? If the children were being brought up properly, then they would receive love from their parents and that would calm down. But a lot of times what I've noticed is the children that are doing these mad things are children who have been put in uh, daycares a lot of times, when parents are fighting, the children are unsettled, they've got anxiety, so they need comfort. So when they're doing, when they're acting out and they want attention, it means a lot of times they need attention, they need love, they need something's not going right in them um, if they're doing it because they're spoiled, you, you pick up. That's different. The ch- parent has to be like a psychiatr- psychiatrist, psychologist, has to see what's wrong with the child. For example, there was once a parent who said, "Um, oh, my child is being naughty and wanted to discipline the child to tell it off or to hit it or whatever. And then I said to the parent, I said, I think the child's hungry and or the child's tired or something happened at school where the child is scared or the parents had a fight or the child saw something on TV and it's therefore unsettled. Sometimes children don't know to come up to the parent because no one ever came up to it when I was young to say, Mum, I feel scared because I saw something on the TV or Mum, something happened at school today and I'm upset. They don't know. That's where, if the child's acting out, it means that something must be wrong. So you go to the child, you give the child attention and love, and then you help the child to try and get out of the child what's wrong with him or her. It could be food. It could be lack of sleep. It could be too much computer, which they shouldn't be doing in the first place. It could be the... The television, as I said. It could be at school. Maybe someone told them something. Like in the playground, some child might have said something dirty to the child and the child goes, what's that or what's that? And then they say something which is really inappropriate and the child's shocked and terrorised. Never heard of that before. If the child's not used to coming back to the parent and opening up because the child was deprived of love, wasn't given much attention when it was young then that child is just going to be all disturbed, act crazy and the parent is going to say, oh, it's just acting out, it's spoiled. No, no, no. There's something wrong. And we have to examine and pray and show love to the child. Repent if you are guilty that you didn't bring up the child properly. You've got to repent over that. And God will enlighten you to know what that's wrong with the child, or the child will open up somehow to find out the reason for that child acting out or why is it smashing things, because it wants your attention. It's not normal. Is that... Any... Yes, Paul? Uh,
2: Father, I was approached by a friend of mine who was very disturbed about his son's children not being baptised, and he wanted to... Uh, to insist on his son to get them baptised and he was asking me how, would I, how do you think I should be handling this and I couldn't really give him an appropriate answer on what you're saying there. What would you do?
0: So your friend's son is married and has children and the children aren't baptised and he asked you for your advice of what to do. Well, a lot of times those parents are not leading church lives at all. Now, there's a chance that it could be more of a disaster sometimes when they go and do mockery. Mockery means they are complete unbelievers. They baptise their child and they pollute the child with sins, etc. And the child can become worse. What I think is the parents need to repent for their mistakes for bringing up children that don't believe and to pray repent to God ask God for help to bring his to bring his son and his wife to the church to become proper orthodox and baptize the child sometimes these things where you've got godparents that are unbelievers godparents that went to the to some Satanic concert the night before, and then they're going to be godparents. This is all m- mockery, and I think it just makes things worse. Now, Belde Payestros did say in one thing when someone asked him, <clears throat> someone asked him, if the parents are not married, for example, and they want to baptise the child, should the child be allowed to be baptised? No priests say no because the parents aren't married. That's a condition. Uh, but he actually said, let the child be baptised. Because I think the elder look that it has been, the world is in a mess. Everything's a complete mess today. But if the parents want the child to be baptised, but they're not married, uh, at least the child to be uh, baptised, the child will get some benefit. But when there's total mockery, atheism, unbelief, etc., I think the parents need to repent first. Uh, two other issues
2: that arose from son's wife and her family are atheists. Mm. The other issue was he felt all he could do with his son was to ask him on his deathbed, on, on my friend's deathbed, that his son insist to get his children baptised. That was the answer he gave to me.
0: I didn't quite get the last part where you said, the who's, who's, who, who were atheists? The,
2: uh, my friend, his son, to the
0: So is the woman an atheist too? The woman's an atheist. That's funny that I said about atheism, isn't it, without even knowing, but gone, yes? And okay.
2: my friend's solution to this was to, uh, he didn't want to cause a problem with that family. He loves his son very much and his grandchildren. But his solution was a deathbed solution. In other words, when he was dying, he said to his son, as a dying wish, I want my children baptised
0: and my work but still they have to repent for the mistakes everything starts from the repentance and then God will then make things grow if there's no repentance then the things all upside down okay now yes one last question (coughs) Well, the saint answered that just now but he said the parents first need to repent for their mistakes and ask God to help the children that were affected because of their ignorance, lack of care, whatever the thing is. That's the first step, as I said to Paul, with that other thing. The repentance of the parents is important. After there's repentance... Everything will start to fall in place and God will see the repentance if it's sincere and will help those children now. Um, as I said, a lot of us, I was not brought up in the church. My parents made mistakes, obviously. So, um, but later on, I think my mother started to regret that she mucked things up and she realised that she made mistakes. And I think that has... Uh, It's important then to help the children with their psychological problems, with their emotional problems. There's always special, as you said, they get divine help as long as the parents first repent. Okay, we have the break now. There's the new book, of the Saint Paisius series, called Saint Paisius of Manathos, Spiritual Councils, Volume 5, Passions and Virtues. Um, this is the fifth book out now. We've been selling the other four. I think we have them all, do we? Or some well, some are missing anyway, because most of you have got it. And I would advise for you, these books are... Someone has already read this said it's, it's excellent. I would advise you to get all the books, to to get all this series of books. They will change your whole life. Excellent books. Easy to understand. And um, the other book is called Orthodox. Christian Periton, Cultivating God's Creation. It's it's published by Zoe Press in Dunlop, California. Now, I read that book once through. It's, it quotes a lot of holy fathers and saints. But there were three things in there, very inappropriate. I don't know how they put it in there. It makes no sense. One is that one woman said, oh, I don't let my daughter wear makeup until she's 16 because it makes her look old and it's not fair to the boys that want to date her or something. I don't know. What is that doing there? Like, has any of the saints ever said that? They're quoting all these elders and saints and then they put in some mother. None of the saints say that. If they want to wear it, after a while you can't stop them but you don't bless them and say... Uh, Go ahead. Silly. The other one was, um, yeah, dating. Orthodox Christians don't date. Now, of course, a lot of them are going to do it. But you don't bless it because you're going to give word. You say that we are aiming for you to get married. So we do what's called, what's that word called when they? Courting. Courting and things like that. You know, they don't date. I don't know where that one came No orthodox saint says that. And they're going to do it. Some of them are going to do it if they haven't been brought up properly. But as long as you don't bless it. And the other one is Catholic schools. This part makes me sick because they do it all the time. They go, oh, we, um, our children go to Catholic school and then when they come home, we discuss all the differences and my children really know the differences. Sorry, but... Orthodox priests are even confused today. Orthodox bishops are even confused today, and are into ecumenism and said we're all the same, etc. And now you're going to send these little pitziriki, as I say in Greek, these little these little um, shrimps, prawns. You're going to send them to um, to the schools, to these Catholic schools. They're going to learn Catholic theology, and they're going to be able to understand the differences. It's forbidden, and the, some satanic people say, "Oh, but." St. John Chrysostom, St. Basil the Great—they went to pagan schools. So therefore, it's all right to go to a Catholic school. Different, different, different. Firstly, if you think that your children are at the level of St. John Chrysostom, Basil the Great, it means that there's some screws that are missing. Number one. Number two. Number two. They went to a pagan school, but they didn't participate in pagan worship. So, that in between classes, go to the Temple of Zeus and burn incense in front of the statues. But in the Catholic school, you have to go to the church. You have to participate in their worship. And strictly speaking, those children who have participated, and some of them even communed accidentally, should be chrismated. That's not um, correct. Then you might say, oh, but the the public schools are bad. They teach about about homosexuality, they teach about uh, whatever, transgenderism, and the Catholic schools don't. Now, the Catholic schools are a bit different. They molest you instead, right? They're a little bit different. And yet people know about that, and yet they still send them. Anyway, it's like something's really, really wrong. I think some of their brains need the WD-40, whatever it's called, to, to, lube, to lubricate their brains. Something's not, not right there. Let's start from the beginning. Now that we have settled the thing about not to be too hopeless, etc., there's hope for parents and for children. Let's start from conception and couples who can't conceive. Now, before marriage, it's customary for couples to confess fully their sins, not to get married with sins, not to have the burden of sins into the marriage. Very important, especially for the marriage and especially before they try to have children because you don't want, as we read before, your sins can influence the children That's very important. Now, there are couples who can't have children, and that's more and more now. Why? Why is that? Maybe it was always like that, because, but I would have to say that if you read the book uh, uh, Does the Contraceptive Pill Cause Abortions and the other book there, Why Pro-Life, which I wanted to advertise. That was part of the book Club too tonight, but I forgot. It's... Um, I'll read them later on, people are starting to understand now, hidden, but sometimes the information gets through, that a lot of these contraception pills makes women infertile and abortions also are a big cause of women becoming infertile. There's other reasons as well. Some women have never had an abortion and never taken contraception pills. Also IUDs, that causes abortions contraception pills, these patches, these things cause abortions. Condoms don't cause abortion. Uh, Whether that's right or wrong, that's a different thing. I'm not going to go into it today. But they don't cause abortions. And there's the other method, obviously, which doesn't cause abortion, which is when a woman checks her temperature in the time of the month when she's infertile. Um, uh, But these other things all cause abortions. And people who are doing that, they should not... Be doing that it's a very big sin women are walking around having multiple abortions every year without even knowing they wouldn't even know it just comes out they wouldn't even know that is serious and those books which i'm going to advertise i don't know i've got the exact who, where you can get them from those books should be read They're here there i give them out for free But people who are on, listen to the CD and people, you should buy boxes of them and give them to your priests. And if they don't want to give them out because they want to be politically correct, you give them out. You just give them out to people, etc. That is very important for people to know. Contraception pills cause abortions. In Talk 65, in Talk 65 on feminism, I actually went through a lot of those issues and read a lot of information there from that book about contraception pills and the damage that they have on women. It increases their chance of breast cancer, etc., etc. There's just so much. Also, can cause deformities in their children if they do get pregnant later on. There's just so much. They also cause miscarriages. They're more prone to miscarriage. Women are more prone to depression. And now they're starting to come out and say it. There's a few things that creep through, usually further on in the news article. There's no big big headlines about it because the newspaper people, the news, don't want to upset women. So if people can't have children, they've got problems, there are saints who are... Patron saints for infertility, for childlessness. St. Anna, the mother of the Theotokos. St. Elizabeth, the mother of St. John the Baptist. St. Sava, the sanctified of Palestine. St. Irini Crisovallandu. St. Simeon, the merced Dreamer, father of St. Sava of Serbia. They are patron saints of couples that are infertile and barren or childless. Now, you can pray to them yourselves... You can ask a priest to do a meleban, like Russians do that, or you can do a five loaves if you're in the Greek church where the priest blesses the five loaves. You can also do the, the koliva, like we did today. We did the five loaves today and the koliva to saints Paisios and Porfirios. We did that so we can get their help. You can also do that depending on what type of church you belong to. As I said, the Slavs, they have melebans, which is like a little baraklis. While the Greeks don't have malebans, they've got the big baraklis. They have the Mother of God, most of the Mother of God, you can do that as well. Um, But you can also pray yourself and you can also do akathis to these saints. You can also order at the church when you go five loaves, blessing, and the koliva. There is also a prayer, which a priest can read for couples who cannot conceive so the priest says I just picked one part of it he usually starts the prayer let us pray to the Lord Lord of mercy so I think I don't know if this is not this is not all of it I just picked parts of it look down a merciful one on these your servants and he says the couple's names who are joined together in marriage and who entreat of you refuge and help that there be in them such mercy, peace and joy that no deed of Satan may be found in them, because sometimes the devil can make people who have not have children, for magic, etc. We've already gone through that in talks 58 and 59. Let them be fruitful and let them see their children's children, granting them even third and fourth generations, and let them attain to ripe old age and enter into the heavenly tabernacle. For you are a merciful God and the lover of mankind. And unto thee do we send up glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Now and ever the age of age Men. The priest blesses them. Then he gets the holy water and the priest blesses the, the couple. And that is a special prayer. You don't run to Thailand to go and rent out a woman as an incubator things like that. You, those things are not orthodox. Surrogacies and things like that. First, you go to the doctors and you do what's proper. You, you get examined, whatever. Then you turn, at the same time or later on, you can t- you turn to the church. Sometimes you have to accept it. But the way they've gone now, it's just too much. It's just gone out of hand. Now, Back to the pregnancy, remember what St. Porphyrio said in the last talk, a child's upbringing begins at the time of its conception. And as I said earlier, not as some think at birth or at one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, when it goes to school. A child's upbringing begins at the time of its conception, straight from day one. Number two, St. Paisius: the nurturing of a child begins with pregnancy. He says the same thing. Number three, St. Porphyrios, do you understand how delicate a matter it is for a woman to go through a pregnancy? Delicate. Special. You've got to be careful. Such a responsibility and such an honour. Some of you got distracted. Listen. It's a great responsibility and an honour for a woman to go through pregnancy. Do we hear that? No. What do the feminists say? It's dishonor. It's dishonor. The famous things. Oh, what do they want us to go back to the nineteen fifties where women stayed at home, in front of the sink and taking care of children were barefoot, and they try to paint pictures that that uh, bringing up children is a catastrophe, a disaster, unhappiness, etc. Are they happy? That's the problem. Are they happy? Let's just say, okay, they've eliminated. Most, a lot of women aren't having children, or they have them later on when they're 80 years old, but are they happy? And what's the answer? What do we notice? High rates of depression, high rates of suicide, high rates of anxiety, so many of them on drugs, on legal drugs, and on the illegal drugs. So for feminists, it's a dishonour. It's disgusting. They hate any notion of a woman being attached to one man for a woman to have children and for a woman not to be working. To them, that's the biggest tragedy in the world. And unfortunately, a lot of you women and a lot of people listening to the tape, to to the CD, have been influenced because feminism has been uh, pushed into in schools and a lot of people have been brainwashed. I had a woman once who was uh, brainwashed for feminism and every time she would come to talk to me she would always bring up this thing about men and men and, and that she couldn't understand how is the man the head of the family or um, how is it that... Um, There's different, I don't know, she just was going on and on and on and on. And I made a big mistake, because that was back in my early years of priesthood. She used to come every time she was having her menstruals. That's not a joke, actually, and I didn't know. And when she was in that state, you couldn't speak to her. She was illogical, and I used to spend hours speaking to her. And I even said to her, you know what, I think if even if an angel came from heaven and spoke to you the truth of what is the truth about that matter, you wouldn't listen. She goes, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't listen. That's why the church has this. The church is very wise. During that time of the month, women need to be a bit more restful. They can even not come to church because they're more prone to temptations. They're weak. They're vulnerable, etc. And society says, no, 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 superwomen. You can do anything. You can have, you can have some children if, if you need to. You can, um, or you can have a dog instead. You can work, full-time work or part-time. You've got to work. And even during that time of the month, you just go for it. You go for it, girl, as they say. You go for it. Girl power. And that's why most of them are on cocaine and other type of drugs to get them to be able to go. To go, A lot of them see um, psychiatrists. They go, oh, but Ida Butros or Oprah and all these people. First of all, Oprah hasn't even got any children. They go, they did it. They were able to manage everything. And their children are normal. Are they? A lot of people look at people's children and think, oh, they're normal. No one knows that they're disturbed. You think that they're normal. How do you know? I've seen people where I'm amazed and I go, what a beautiful family, what a beautiful family, and then they come and speak a little bit, open up and go, wow, whoa, Nelly, what's that? <laughs> what is that? Troubles and problems, and you, I didn't even think that that was there even there, I thought that was all Beautiful. So don't think that people are... Uh, uh, that it's all easy. That, You've been brainwashed and a lot of people now are waking up, as I said in previous talks. Women are waking up to it and they go, I'm not doing it. And the feminists, as I said, pulling their hair and they're getting very upset. What's happened? Like All our brainwashing all these years, where's this all gone? Where's it all gone? Oh, yeah, that woman who I said was a feminist. i would go off the topic. So she got married. She got married. And then she had some children. And then she left her children, and she said to her brother... The brother said, why did you leave your family? What's wrong? He goes, I don't want to be known as a housewife. So the feminism came back. Very hard to uproot those legions... It's actually demonic and actually the first time I spoke to this woman many years ago when I first spoke to her and she brought up that topic and I said to her, you know what, that what you've got is a demon. It's actually a demon and I I think that's going to be something that's going to torment you all your life. St. Porphyrios, whatever the mother experiences, sorrow, pain, fear, anxiety, etc., is also experienced by the embryo. Now, we said that last time. The feelings of the mother, the state of the mother, that's why they say, even from pregnancy. So, loud noises can affect the child. Just not like the mother's feelings, but even loud noises outside because the child hears. Shouting, when the mother's upset, we know about that. Music, the television could be on. Those things affect the child, should not have these things going on. And some silly women, they actually get their um, speakers. And they strap the speakers on their stomach when they're pregnant so the child can learn A for apple, B for bat, C for cat, D for dog. They actually do that. They said, I want to start my child early. I want to start the child's education early. Next talk, I'm going to go through all about early education and how Australia and America have the worst educational level because we start our children too early on academics compared to other countries in Europe where they don't start academics until seven or odd. Now, the child, we try because it's cheaper to send the child to school instead of childcare, so the parents are taking the child four, four and a half to school, and the child, even from kindergarten, it has to be taught how to write its name and how to do this, can't do it. Then they've got to go to special classes, so then they get stigma. I'm dumb, I'm stupid, I'm this, I'm that. The child can't even hold a pencil. But this has not happened in Europe. In Finland, for example, they go to school at seven. And then they do what's called structured play. No academic. And they start the academic, I think, at eight. And who's got the highest educational level in the world? Finland. Who's got some of the worst educational levels? UK, Australia, and America. Oh, I wonder what that means. Does that mean that it's got something to do with early education? These people who strap the speakers to their stomachs so the child can hear the alphabet, it's like a torment. Saint Biusius, a pregnant woman should not be anxious while others should be careful not to upset her. The elder saying, a woman should not be filled with anxiety during her pregnancy. It will affect the child. The husband should be careful not to upset her. Very, very important. And I ask, those women who work till they're eight months pregnant, they work up to a couple of months, some couple of weeks before they're going to give birth. Traveling. Some of them even travel in trains and buses. Aren't they scared that they could trip? Aren't they scared that someone could actually hit them accidentally? Then they've got to sit in the chair, if they're office people, all day. Or they've got to stand if they work in a shop. And then they've got to come home. And then they've got to get everything ready and the food. Even if the husband helps, it's still stressful. So what would happen to those children? Now, I received an email from someone overseas who um, heard the talk. And then she shared with me, which I'll share with you, I got her permission. I will share with you what she said about her own two children. She goes Reg- Regarding the teachings about a mother's disposition during pregnancy having impact, well, I would say this reflects my experience. My two children are very, very different. And I more or less treated them the same. However, my personal experiences during the pregnancy and in the initial months after delivery were very different. And I've always felt this contributed to their almost opposite personalities. My son, that's the first child, is very outgoing, confident and sociable. While my daughter is quite shy and frightened of new things, prone to whining or mood outbursts, And has been difficult to feed. Her son, I think, one's 10 and the other girl's 5 or something like that. I had more relationship difficulties when I was pregnant with my daughter. That's the main difference. So when she was pregnant with the first one, she didn't have problems. But when she was pregnant with the second one, she had a lot of conflict with her husband, a lot of problems during the pregnancy and after the pregnancy... And she got very, very upset during that time compared to the first child. And there's a difference. Now, some of you might say, oh, that's anecdotal. That doesn't mean it applies to everyone. The saints think it does. The saints believe it does. And she wrote towards the end, there is so much science now that links stress hormones to child brain development. So when a woman is stressed during the pregnancy this can affect the brain development of the child in the womb. I believe what you are instructing on this from the church's teaching is now not disputed medically. Another situation of science catching up with church wisdom. In other words the church has always known this but society didn't because they're too smart. They think they're smart and now They're only confirming, just like women who have children, a lot of the medical people say they should rest six weeks. Six times seven is 42, which is the 40 days that the church teaches that a woman should be especially rested and not even come to church. And then after 40 days, she comes to church to be read, which is allowed to participate once again in the church's service. Women need to rested. That's all coming out now too. So the church has always known what's the best. And they're just catching up with what the church teaches. And I would like to say that the woman who wrote this, which is quite, right, very observant, she's not even orthodox. She's Protestant. But she listens to my talks there. But the point is there, what I'm trying to say is that it's a bit embarrassing when people that aren't orthodox are more observant about their children than orthodox people are who have the richness of orthodoxy. So let's emphasise that. The medical world is catching up to what the church has always taught. If St. Porphyrios says, if the mother doesn't want the child, if she doesn't love it, Then the embryo senses this and traumas are created in its little soul that stay with it all its life. So that's what I read last time. I'm just summarising a little bit. That when the mother does not want the child, this affects the child and the child later on is born with a lot of traumas. It's very important for the mother to love the child while the child or the embryo is in the womb. That's why when women come up to me and say, I don't really, I don't know if I want a child because um, again, it's going to restrict me and I won't be able to be free and I won't be able to work or going to take time off after it's born or whatever, whatever, whatever. And, um, and I say to them, I think uh, you're right. Better off not to have any because they're going to cause a lot of problems. Doesn't mean you're going to go and abort the child because you don't want it to be born with trauma. That's worse. But in general, when women are selfish, or the husband as well, uh, sometimes just say, probably better off because you're not going to take care of the child properly anyway. Some people will say that's wrong. All people should have... When they get married, they should have children, this and that. That's not... Uh, As easy as that. Yes, it's a sin not to have children. It's a sin. But worse than that is when you have them and you destroy them. Saint Piusius says, If the mother prays and lives a spiritual life, the child in her womb is sanctified. Saint Porphyrios, When a pregnant woman is filled with joy, peace and love for the embryo, she transmits these things to it mystically. Like I said about the woman that had thoughts and her baby was crying, crying, crying. And I said it's from her. And there's a mystical thing. It's transmitting the bad vibes that she's got, the evil, whatever, to the child. The same thing happens in the womb. There's a transference of grace to the child, mystically, while it's still an embryo, while the woman's pregnant. So the woman should be filled with love, Joy, peace for the embryo. Saint Paisio says a pregnant woman should say the Jesus prayer, study the gospel and chant hymns. Then the child that will be born will be blessed and the parents will have no problems, neither when the child is young nor when the child is older. Of course, he doesn't mention this, but obviously other places he says that the woman should uh, confess, often commune, often drink holy water, anoint herself with unction oil. All those things help the child. And I've seen women who do that, who commune often and struggle spiritually so that their child can be sanctified. I believe, and I'm sure if you're honest with yourself you will agree, that When a woman is working during the pregnancy, it's very difficult to even keep up with these things. She's too tired. Very difficult. Saint Porfirio says, a mother must pray a lot during her pregnancy and love the child grown within her, stroking her belly, reading psalms, singing hymns, and living a holy life. Both saints are saying exactly the same thing. Saint Paisios, if the parents pray and lead a spiritual life... Now, St. Piusius is including the, the man as well, the husband, the father. More the mother, obviously. His spiritual life can also influence the embryo. And he says if both parents pray and lead a spiritual life, during the time the child is still in the womb, the child will be born sanctified. Now, that's conception, pregnancy. Now we go to... Oh, yeah, during the pregnancy, there's also a prayer that a woman can read during her prayer time. You can look at it on the internet. Prayers of a pregnant woman, an unborn child. Safe birth. So the woman is praying for herself and for her baby. And that she will have a safe birth. I believe that that prayer should be read every day during a woman's pregnancy. How long does it take? Two minutes? Three minutes? You take longer than that to read your emails. What's more important, the emails or the child? For some, the emails. Okay, let's see what it says. I thank you and pray. Bless this fruit of my body that was given to me by you. Favour it and give it life by your Holy Spirit. Let it grow a healthy and pure body with well-formed limbs. Because children can be born with deformities. Sanctify its body, mind and heart and vitals and grant this infant which is to be born an intelligent soul. Establish him or her, or whatever, you don't know, just say him. Establish it or whatever in the fear of you. A faithful angel, a guardian of soul and body, do though grant him or her or it, if you don't... Some of you know the sex. I would prefer people just surprise on the day. But today people do find out. So you might say him, you might say her. If you don't know the sex, you can say it. And and it says, a faithful angel, a guardian of soul and body. Of course, children do not get guardian angels until they're baptised. I think that's what it means that grant... Grant grant a guardian angel when the child is baptised. Protect, keep, strengthen and shelter the child in my womb until the hour of its birth. O Lord Jesus Christ, into your almighty and paternal hands do I entrust my child. Place upon him the hand of your grace, and through your Holy Spirit, sanctify and renew it unto life everlasting that it may be a communicant of your heavenly kingdom, Amen. And the last part, O oh, merciful Christ our God, look down and protect me, your handmaiden, from fear and from evil spirits that seek to destroy the work of your hands. And when my hour and time is come, deliver me by your grace. Look with your compassion, I, and deliver me, your handmaiden, from pain, lighten my infirmity in the time of my labour, Grant me endurance and strength for birth giving and hasten it by your almighty help. That's only part of the prayer. It's a bit long. See how beautiful that is? If you're praying that every day and you feel it, even if you can't feel it all the time, sometimes you're out of it, sometimes you're tired, and sometimes you can read the whole thing and not feel anything. But still God will count it to something because you spent that time doing that. He looks at that. Sometimes people can't. I mean, I can do a liturgy and sometimes if I'm sick, I'm out of it or, or whatever, I can't concentrate, and which is really bad. I mean, you can finish the whole service and at the end you say, oh, I was out of it. I didn't hardly understand anything. And that's for a liturgy. That's, that's serious. So how much more than for lay people? So don't feel bad. You just, just you attempt. The next day you might feel... One line of it might hit your heart. Just one line. You might hit the part where it says, grant me a safe birth, for example. That might hit you. That goes straight to heaven, that that prayer, that feeling. Another day, you might feel half the prayer. Another day, you might feel all the prayer. It doesn't matter. God looks at the disposition. He looks at your struggle to do it, even if you don't succeed properly each time. But that's a very powerful prayer. And... That comes to now the part on surrogacy. Now I write here, are these women going, these surrogates that are going to say if you rent out a surrogate to have a baby, are these women going to have love for the unborn baby? What are they experiencing during the pregnancy? What are they doing? Are they doing sins during the pregnancy? What are they thinking? Do they have hate? Are they indulging in magic? Do they go to the Buddhist temple? Do they go to the Hindu temple, depending on what religion they are? What sins are they doing? In particular, there'll be nothing spiritual, or oh, unless it's their own spirituality, their own uh, incorrect spirituality, compared to orthodoxy. This thing of that you can have a woman who can bring up your to pregnancy for your child, that goes completely against orthodoxy. You don't know anything about that woman. This is ridiculous. Imagine if she's pregnant with your child and then she's participating in the sins that we mentioned before. Maybe she sleeps around. Maybe she might even do other things. Who knows? Now, what can happen during the pregnancy is a woman can have a miscarriage. The 22nd Canon of the St. John the Faster states a woman who has involuntarily miscarried a baby receives a penance for one year. She's not allowed to commune for one year. Now, I read, I think in the Russian church, for example, somewhere that says say that oh, women shouldn't commune for 40 days. They don't commune for 40 days anyway. Remember what I said, that for the first 40 days they don't go to church and then they go and get prayers read, which I'm going to read in a minute, and then later on they're allowed to participate in the church services again and commune. During the first 40 days they're not allowed to do that. And so I don't understand why you would give a woman that's miscarried 40 days, which is the same as what a woman has when she has a a proper birth. So the canons say one year. Now, some priests might give less. Depends. Maybe the woman was attacked. There's all these different reasons. However, why does the church give these penances? There's reason. The Holy Fathers say there's reasons that there is something there that may have happened in the past which then God took away his grace and the baby was lost. There's a lot of reasons we don't know. And women need to still repent. You can't just say, oh, well, easy come, easy go, I've lost the child. No, that's why these penances are important so that people can understand and it starts to spread. Or oh, did you hear that Maria had a miscarriage, the priest didn't allow her to commune for one year? Why is that? Oh, because it's really serious. It's um, a big sin, they go, is it? And then women will start thinking, I've got to be careful. But when we do this wishy-washy stuff with the priest is just saying, oh, OK, it's all right, 40 days, or you know, it's not your fault, or something like that, that does not help women to be more vigilant and careful during their pregnancy to understand, and, the, and we'll read in a minute about the husband too, who can also have been the cause of the miscarriage. St. was interpretation of Canon 22 of St. John the Faster, he writes... The, wim- the woman who miscarried the baby which she had in her womb without wanting to but on account of some involuntary circumstances is penance one year not to receive Holy Communion. As I said before, some priests might lessen a little bit, whatever, but there should be some significant penance and that penances are soul-saving. Now, there's a controversy going on in America at this time where most of the churches are against the monasteries of Elder Ephraim, who give penances. The Greeks are more into the penances. The Slavs tend to sometimes give nothing, most of the time. And the more liberal Greek priests are starting to do the same. However, the monasteries of Elder Ephraim which thousands of people are flocking for confession, they're not going to their parishes. They're not going to their parishes. Russians, Serbians, Greeks, Antiochians, all rush into these monasteries where they know that the priest is strict, where they know the priest is going to give a penance, but yet they go. They don't go, some still go to the other priest because they don't want a penance, but a lot of them are going there. And there's this big, big controversy going on. And a lot of the churches are going against and saying to their parishioners, don't go to those monasteries. Or if you go, don't confess. And they're being fought a lot. And I think that's a good that that's good. And there's a big, big controversy, big blow up is happening in America. Good, that's good. Why is it good? Because whenever anything is proper, the There's always demonic forces that try to stop it. And these blow-ups, these problems, then it's discussed. And this tension, all these problems, the truth will come out. That's happened in the past with heresies and other practices that were wrong. One of the abbots over there, he says, these people that are doing this are going to give word because the people that come here want penances. They want them. They feel that when they go and confess that they had an abortion or they fell into the sin of sodomy or some of else and the priest says, that's okay, you can commune, they feel something's not right. They don't feel in their soul peace. They want a penance, and the saints say that penances are therapeutic. It helps the person to repent and it helps the person to stop the sin. For example, the sin of masturbation for a lot of single people they fall, they fall, they fall, they fall. And they go to the church and the, church, the priest reads them and they fall again and they fall again and they, and they say, okay, you fell. When did you fall? Three days ago. Okay, you can still commune. And they commune and they fall again and again and again. But then they go to a traditional priest who says to them, you can't commune for 40 days. So that's usually the thing. Some say less. It depends on the circumstances. They might say 30 or 40 days. No, you can't commune. You have to stop at first, and then you're allowed to commune. What happens? After a while, they stop. But the ones that are going to the priests who just read them and say, okay, you know, don't, they just read them, read them, read them, they don't stop. And that includes sins which married couples do and things like that. It goes on and on and on. And this abbot of the monastery, he actually said, if these people who are against the penances actually come to our monastery and see these thousands of families with their faces that are bright, where they're actually leading spiritual lives, these people stopped and changed their lives because of the penances they were given. So that's why it's good that this blow-up's happening. And um, the fact that there's persecution of those monasteries, calling them fanatical, backwards, medieval, etc. But at the end, the truth will come out and it will bring back to the church the practice of penances because now it's just about being wiped out. Let's see what the footnote says. This is not the canon. This is Saint Nicodemus making comments about the canons. Some people say that doesn't have as much power as the canon. Some say no, it's just as powerful as the canon. There's all different opinions on that. But this is his footnote. He says, for this reason, pregnant women must take care not to lift anything heavy, especially when they are seven or eight months pregnant, and to keep themselves from what troubles them. While men, after their wives conceive, must not have intercourse with them any longer, nor strike them or cause them any trouble or sorrow, for because of these things their wives miscarry the babies and the poor husbands become murderers of their children. Wherefore, if married priests or those who plan to become priests do cause for their wife to miscarry, those who are priests are to be defrocked, they're not allowed to be priests anymore, and those who are going to become priests in the future are barred from the priesthood on account of the murder they committed. That's how serious it is. People don't know that. Now, on the part where it says that couples cannot have sexual intercourse during the pregnancy, there are many different opinions of that. There is no canon which states that. Now, St Nicodemus is strict, and he says better to avoid it because a problem can occur. But there are no canons to say that that's correct. Some priests allow it, some priests don't. I need to research it more to find out more about it. However, the medical world say that there's no problem until towards the end of the pregnancy. However, there are some conditions that women can have where they've got a certain condition, where they can have a miscarriage during that time. But sometimes women don't know that they've got that condition, and then they indulge, and they can lose it. So some people say, to be safe, I don't want to do it. But there's no canon to say that. If there is a canon, and I'm ignorant about it, I don't mind if people write to me and tell me, but I like to research it more. And now, there is a prayer When a woman has a miscarriage, let us pray to the Lord, Lord of mercy, our master, Lord our God, who was born of the most holy mother of God and ever virgin Mary, and as an infant was laid in a manger, do thou upon this thy servant, and person's name, who in sins has today fallen to the sin of murder, intentionally or unintentionally, and has aborted that which was conceived in her, have mercy according to thy great mercy and forgive her transgressions by voluntary and voluntary and preserve her from every diabolical operation and cleanse the impurity, heal the suffering and grant her, a lover of mankind, health and strength of her body and soul. And with a bright angel, do thou guard her from every assault of invisible demons. Yea, O Lord, from sickness and disease and cleanse her from all bodily defilement and her various oncoming internal problems and through thy abundant compassion lead her to the recovery of her humble body and raise her from the bed upon which she lies which shows that when a woman does miscarry she can have complications which she doesn't heal there can be problems when they try to remove the child some complications so the church is actually praying for her healing now some of you noted up the top it says who in sins has today fallen into the sin of murder. The church fathers do consider a miscarriage, because this sounds like a prayer for abortion, but this is the prayer for miscarriage. The church fathers do consider a child um, who is miscarried like an abortion, not the same as a woman who purposely did it, but it's called involuntary murder. So the church fathers did look at this very, very seriously. Some of you get upset and say that's not right, whatever, whatever, and that's why a lot of priests don't say it, but I, I'm just telling you that's what it is. And that's why women need to be 100% careful when they are in their pregnancies. Not just think of it as being they can continue on their lives as normal with no, hardly no precautions. And that's why they're given penances. Now abortion's different. If someone quits an abortion the penance usually in stricter times was 3 to 5 years. This is different to miscarriage which is 1 year. Now of course it's been watered down a little bit because of the times that we live in, people are ignorant, etc. but there needs to be a penance. Now, uh, I'm going to do more on abortion at another time, but I will say there is an acathus which is, which is over there and it's called Acathus of Repentance for One Who Has Aborted a Child. I think people that have had an abortion should read that because um, remember the child still has a soul and the child died without baptism. So that's a very good thing. Also those two books... Um, which is called why pro life caring for the unborn and their mothers by Randy Alcorn from the website eternal perspective ministries www.e4egg p4peter m4mary.org eternal perspective now they they published that book that book i just read why pro life caring for the unborn and their mothers is to do with abortion. I have read part of it. I want to do a talk on that more. But what I read in there was amazing. It was like startling to know that women are told, it's an easy procedure, just come into family planning and we'll just do the procedure. You can even go back to work. And it's no problems. But they don't talk about the women, how much they're depressed, higher rate of suicide, the health difficulties that they have. The difficulties of having children later on. There's a whole disaster there. Women don't know about that. They just think it's just a procedure. It's not a procedure. That's medically speaking. But there's also spiritual as well. And remember what Father John Christiankin, the Russian elder from Russia that just died in 2007, he says that women who have abortions, they've got to know that that sin flows on to their future children. That's why they have trouble with their children, it's to do with the sin. It's the, the souls of those aborted children who are um, weren't given the grace of baptism. That's why repentance is necessary, that canon is necessary. Um, you've got to confess, obviously. But also, that why pro-life book, buy, buy 50, buy 100, buy 200 and give them out. That can be a form of penance. That's a form of penance because priests say, "Okay, you don't commune for six months or whatever, one year or whatever they're going to give, but also the spiritual fathers, the more traditional ones, also give penances of a different form, which is things like that. Give money to the poor or my one is buy that book, order it and spread it everywhere. Depends on how much money you've got Buy spread so that people know. People have been brainwashed. Oh, there's nothing wrong. It's just an easy procedure. Go back to work. No. It's got spiritual repercussions and it's got physical and mental and emotional. And a lot of those women later on, they regret it. They don't tell you that. But a lot of the women who had abortions, who by the way were in a way forced when they went there, that these doctors say, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. I think that's what you should do because they get money every, every abortion they have. They don't tell the woman, look, you've got that choice or that choice. It's more do it. Then later on, those women realise maybe one year later, straight away, two years, three years later, and they suffer depression and guilt for what they did. So it's not, it's easy and there's no problems. No one says that. It's all in that book. Read it, very important. Now, what happens if it's time for you to give birth and you're having a difficult birth, which does happen? There are patron saints for a safe birth, for help and protection. Saint Eleftherios, Saint Anna, the mother of the Theotokos, and Saint John the Baptist. There's just a few, there's more. So you can pray to them, you can get prayers done. etc. Then there's patron saints for difficulties in childbirth. So you go into the hospital or you're told beforehand it's going to be a difficult birth. Then there are saints to pray. Saint Eleftherios again and Saint Catherine the Great. These are saints who help people who are having difficulties in giving birth to their children. There's also a prayer that a priest can do. If your priest is able, he can come to the hospital or you can go to them if you're still able to walk or he can come to your house if he's able. And there's a special prayer for a woman in hard labour who's having difficulties. He says, I just read part of it. We ask you now who love mankind to bless this, your handmaiden, who is with child, granting her help and comfort at this trying time Ease her labour, bring her to a safe delivery. To safe delivery, O Lord, open the treasure of your mercies and your compassions unto her, and let her give birth to a fruitful vine, to be a cause of joy to her all the days of her life. For blessed are you and your only begotten Son and your Holy and Good Life-Giving Spirit, now never, and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen. I have been called to hospitals to do that prayer. I actually didn't even read the title properly, I thought it was a prayer that you do for, for everyone that's going to give birth. I just used to go and read it even for, you know, I only had a small community so I was actually, I used to try and go to the hospitals back in those days to read the prayers for women who were about to give birth. Now I just do it from the monastery. However. My experience is very positive. That prayer is very powerful for women who are having difficulties. I went once to the hospital and there was a relative of mine who doesn't even go to church. And um, I went to see her and then the, the nurses said, oh, it's going to be a long night, you're going to have a very long, long labour time quite a few hours and then I said to her do you want me to read this prayer for you and she goes okay not that she really even knew what it was so I read her the prayer and as soon as I finished the prayer she screamed I said to myself what's going on and then I kind of walked out the room and I saw down the corridor all these nurses and doctors running So I went outside and And within two minutes, coming from the room, I heard screaming, but a different type, it was the baby. And the baby was born pretty quickly. Now, you might say, oh, does that mean you've got special powers? No, it means the priesthood has the grace. You can have any priest to read those prayers. I remember one woman, she rang up, she says, I'm going to the hospital. I said, "Okay, I'll read you the prayers. I said, back in the old days, I thought you read this prayer for everyone giving birth. Didn't read the title. So I I read the, the prayer from the monastery, and then she went to the hospital. And as she walked into the room, she was walking towards the bed, and the baby fell out, and a nurse caught it. And you might say, oh, that's just the coincidence. It's up to you. I say the priesthood is very powerful. The orthodox priesthood, which is the only priesthood, is very powerful. When a priest speaks, God listens. If the priest is unworthy, God listens. If the priest is off, God listens. Because you don't know. How do you know which priest is good, which priest is bad, which is this? A lot of times you don't know. But God will reward you when you go to his priests. So, even if you haven't got a difficult childbirth, even just before, so you go to church on Sunday, and then you know that Tuesday, Wednesday, you're due. You can go to the priest and say, Father, I'm going to have the baby, God willing, on Wednesday. Could you please read me? Uh, a prayer, a health prayer. Can you please bless me? So everything can go well. Now, after childbirth, a lot of people are ignorant, but there are prayers, which the church does, for a woman on the first day after childbirth People are unaware of that and they, they ignore it. But they don't understand that these prayers help the woman in their healing, help the woman to bond with their child, etc. They don't understand that, and that's why a lot of people have troubles later. The first prayer, I'm going to read a little bit. Our Sovereign Master and Lord Almighty, who heals every sickness and every weakness. Obviously the woman, she gives birth, she's she's weak. Do you yourself heal this your servant? And then he blesses her and says her name. Who this day has borne a child and raised her up from the bed on which she lies. Do you yourself have mercy on this your servant? Maria, who this day has borne this child and be gracious unto her voluntary and involuntary offences, protecting her from every diabolical cruelty. As I said, the devil's always attack Christian people, but when women during the menstrual times, but also especially when they've given birth, they're very weak, they're very vulnerable. So the priest is praying for God to protect that woman from any demonic attacks. Preserve the child she has borne from every pain, from every harm, from every hostile rage, from evil spirits of the day and night. Keep this woman safe under your mighty hand. So not only is the priest praying for the woman, but he's also praying for the baby, even though the baby's not been baptised. Preserve the child she has borne From every pain, from sickness, the child can get sick. From every harm, from every hostile rage, from evil spirits, because the evil spirits can attack the child. Keep this woman safe under your mighty hand. Grant to her a speedy recovery. Some women don't recover very well after... There are a lot of complications. Cleanse her of every sin. Bring healing from suffering and grant unto her health... And strength of body and soul, and with bright, shining angels, enfold and cherish her, guarding her round about against every attack of invisible spirits. Again, making reference, so there is warfare, obviously. And the priestess continue, not only praying for her health, not only praying for the child, but also praying that they, the mother and the child be protected from evil spirits. Yea, Lord, from sickness and infirmity from jealousy and envy, from the evil eye. What does that mean? Jealous people. People who have an evil eye, who have the ability to, with their jealousy, to make you sick or harm the child. That exists. The church acknowledges that. People say, oh, it doesn't exist. The only difference is we don't wear little blue eyes that the Turks gave us back in the in the Turkish times, these little blue eyes... And they're going to protect you. That doesn't protect you. The cross protects you. And the prayers of the priest protects you. Not evil eyes, horseshoes, uh, rabbit foot and other things of magicians that they give, etc. So yes, from jealousy and envy. Some people say, if a person says, what a beautiful child, that, that person's going to give the evil eye to that child. No, no, no. An ordinary thing like that does not do that if the person in, a, in his or her heart hasn't got any evil thoughts. But if the person is saying, what a beautiful child, but inside they're jealous and envious and hateful or whatever, then it could influence the child. And that's why you don't know. Some people have got these... Poker faces, you can't tell at all that they're what's going on. They're just there and they're smiling away and they're full of evil. You don't know. That's why you're constantly praying, constantly asking the priests the prayers to be done to protect the child, etc. That's what you do. You put a cross on the crib and lead a proper spiritual life so your child can be protected. Have mercy on her and the newborn child according to the greatness of your mercy. Forgive her all voluntary and involuntary sins. Remove from her any suffering befalling her and through your speedy mercy lead her to recovery in her bodily affliction. Because giving birth is an affliction. It's difficult. Women can have a lot of problems And these prayers help the woman to heal. And whenever there's a reference to forgive them their sins, some people say, what does that mean? Does that mean giving birth is a sin? No, no. They're talking about everyday sins. Everyday sins. If the mother was um, had a little bad thought or she got irritated or she got angry or she got a little bit jealous or she got irritated or something like that. They're everyday sins, we all do that. You can confess now and in five minutes go to commune. In that five minutes you would have committed maybe a 100 sins. It's in the heart, it's in the mind, it's just there. These sins are what's called everyday sins. These sins aren't an abortion, magic, adultery, sodomy or whatever. They're not, these are everyday sins. Whenever a priest reads prayers, they're always making reference to these everyday sins, which don't need confession, by the way. They are sins that people do every day. When you drink holy water, you are receiving forgiveness of sins. When you partake of unction, you are receiving forgiveness of sins. Everyday sins, small sins which we all do, are separate to the bigger sins. And that's why there's always references to forgive, forgive, forgive. Even the prayers that I read today in church for health, there was uh, references and forgive them their sins. Now, people get mixed up. Wait a minute, I thought confession, you receive forgiveness of sins. How am I receiving forgiveness of sins by having a prayer of health being read to me? Or the woman can say, how am I receiving forgiveness of sins for the first day prayers when I haven't confessed? Now people get mixed up, they don't understand. There's little everyday sins, involuntary, they unknown. Most of the time, we do a lot of sins which we're not aware of. And we do uh, sins that we can't help. But they're they're little sins, and they're forgiven continually. They can be forgiven in your prayers, they're forgiven you drink holy water, when you put oil on yourself... They are forgiven when you commune because in some churches you don't have to confess each time. So that's why the priest says, for forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. Forgiveness of what sins? Forgiveness of unknown sins, sins that you don't remember, sins that you did involuntarily. Those are the everyday sins. And people get mixed up. They go, no, no, you've got to confess and then you commune. A lot of churches don't do that. Russians do that. The ancient practice was Christians would commune often, and confession back in those days was for those who had done big sins. Later on, they put it together. Now, if you're, say, if you're in the Russian Church, that's the requirement. We'll go and confess things that make you especially guilty. You can get advice, you can get the prayer read. But it doesn't mean that you've got to sit there with a big rim of paper to say every single sin. I got angry with my mum. My husband made me irritated. There's things but If it's happening all the time, whatever, you might say that if you feel guilty. But in general, those sins are forgiven continually. St John of Cronston says that. The prayers, if you read the morning prayers, you read the night prayers... If you read them, there's all these references. Forgive me my sins. It doesn't say forgive me my sins after I've gone to confession. People have to realise that all the time we're asking for forgiveness of sins. And one more thing, St. Ambrose of um, Optina, he actually said that unction oil, when, when we receive unction, we are receiving forgiveness of sins that he actually said we don't remember as well. Little things, everyday things. Oh, that's the first day prayers. And then I've got two little parts of the prayer, of the 40-day prayers. So there's prayers for the first day. There's prayers for the eighth day, which is the name of the child. Some people skip that. It's, you know, if you can do it, you do it. But important is the 40-day prayers, the prayers that the woman gets read so that she can go to church again. It's called the churching of a mother and child after 40 days. Do you also, sovereign master, all-powerful, bless this presented babe that it may appear before you, the creator of all things, and do you increase in him or her every good work acceptable to you, removing from him or her every opposing might by the sign of the likeness of your cross, For you are he who guards infants, O Lord. That prayer is specifically, looks like, for the child. Now the next one. Do you, who are he that watches over babies, yourself, O Lord, bless this child together with its parents and godparents and account it worthy at the fitting time to be born again of water and the Spirit. That means baptism. Number it with your holy flock of rational sheep, who are called by the name of your Christ. So, that prayer is important as well. And people miss out. People never, never did these prayers. So, if that's happened to you, you repent, ask God for forgiveness, and try to help your children when they have children. Enlighten others, etc. But you can't just go into hopelessness and then give up. People didn't know; they weren't educated. A lot of times, it's the priest's fault because they don't say much at all. Um, but these prayers are important. These prayers can prevent postnatal depression, which in America they call it postpartum grace. The mother, the child needs grace. Mothers complain to me, it won't attach, it won't attach, I can't breastfeed the child. Grace, we need grace, grace to help the child to, to settle down, to help the child to attach, to help the, to, for you to bond. Some women give up after a while, they, don't, they miss out on the benefits of breastfeeding. Okay, so we'll have a five minute break. Now that we've gone through the first-day prayers and the 40-day prayers, we come now to the baptism of a child. What I decided to do is to take from the teachings of St. Cosmas of Italia, a Greek saint during the Turkish times, very famous saint. He spoke very simple. When I first read this book, I loved the, the whole thing about First, I love the way that he taught simple. I also loved the way he went around to all different parts of Greece to help the people who were uh, kind of swaying, thinking of becoming Muslim, couldn't take it because of the pressure from the Turks. And I really like that. And then, to my surprise, when I was made a monk... The bishop actually gave me his name. And my desire was not to have a parish. My desire as a priest was to teach in English wherever I can. I really was inspired by Saint Cosmas. That was my but God saw it differently. And I got sick, and so therefore I wasn't able to do that. And to me, I think it's a blessing in that I took the saint's name and even though I'm not able physically to go to English-speaking countries, I had this thing to preach. I loved it. And yet today, I just do it from here. No travelling, just do it here. And yet the talks are spreading to all English-speaking countries. In a way, this is better. Because when you go to a church, you preach, you do a half an hour sermon or whatever, you move away, that's it. Those people might get get benefit. Then you go somewhere else, those people might get benefit. But this way, with the recordings, the talks will last for a long time and... People are being helped everywhere that is speak English, which was my aim. Why I'm telling you that story is because we always should have desires. And even though the desire might seem remote, that can't be done, God will grant your desire either what you want or better, even better than what you want. But he always will take notice of our desire. So he says he went to a village and he was speaking to the people. The way he practised was as follows. I'm telling you this now. He would go to a village or to a town and he would first do a service a paraclesis or a service, um, which I practice as well. I love that, that he does the service beforehand to receive the grace, to help the people and to help him to be able to preach. He would set up a cross near him where he would preach. He would stand on a box, some type of stand, so that people could see him and he would preach to the people. And this is what he said about baptism, wishing to show us the way to remove that curse which our father Adam and our mother Eve received in paradise. The Lord was baptized in the river Jordan by the honorable forerunner John the Baptist. We too, my fellow Christians and brothers, should rejoice and be glad a thousand times for the many good things given to us by the Lord, and especially for holy baptism. We too should keep our baptism. As pure and immaculate as possible. That's why Saint John Chrysostom, Saint Basil the Great, and a lot of the the old times, people didn't get baptized when they were young because they were scared that they're gonna they're gonna defile their baptism by sins. So they waited till they got older. That practice was later on abolished, and now we do infant baptisms. But back in the old days, they used to. Uh, wait for the person to be conscious just like the Baptists do today. Um, but they were very conscious, the ancient Christians, of not defiling their baptism. People don't know that. That's what children should be taught. You're baptised, my son. You're baptised, my daughter. You have to keep pure your baptism. You explain that. You help them. You explain to them how sexual sins when they get older are bad or when they're young, you say jealousy, all these things defile our baptism. Um, We too should keep our baptism as pure and immaculate as possible. If by chance we sin as human beings, may the gracious God be glorified, he who has granted us a second baptism, holy confession, because it is impossible for a person to be saved who hasn't been baptised and one who is unconfessed. Confession is called a second baptism where you're receiving forgiveness of sins like in your first baptism. Actually, one Holy Father, thinks and St John of the Ladder, says that one can say confession is greater even than the baptism in the sense because when you're baptised as a child, you're not conscious, but as an adult or when you get older, you're consciously repenting and coming and asking for God's forgiveness. It's a very big thing. Not, of course, to say that baptism is not necessary, but it's he's trying to make a point there. It is better, my brother, to kill a hundred baptised persons than to allow one child to die unbaptized. And if by chance a child's about to die and the priest hasn't baptised it yet, let anyone baptise it. Father, mother, brother, neighbour, and especially the midwife back in those days where midwives were orthodox in the villages and things like that. Take a lot of water and oil, make the sign of the cross over the child and baptise in it, saying, the servant of God is baptised in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I think what he means is that you pour the, the water on the child. If the child lives... The priest will complete the service. When I follow women, when they've been pregnant, you know, the nine months and they give birth, I have, I don't know if it's a sin, I don't know. Anyway, that's, my, that's how I feel. I have anxiety. Uh, maybe I, I have to trust more in God, but I have anxiety for the woman not to have a miscarriage. And then after the child is born... For the child to be baptized, A.S.A.P. as soon as possible. And uh, my practice is forty days, trying to baptize the child for forty days. Russians do it at eight days. Some people wait till the child's even doing ballet lessons. They wait wait until the child's old and baptize it. You don't do that; it's dangerous. And when the child would be baptized, I would feel relief. Then I say, Now the child is baptized. If something happens to that child, whatever, at least we can commemorate that child rather than for the child to die unbaptized where you cannot commemorate their name in the liturgy. Now, as I said, maybe that's lack of faith. I don't know. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. Uh, God knows. But I just say that, that that's my thing that I had. I was um, very anxious. I want the child to be baptised. When it was baptised, I would feel relief. And that's how you parents should feel. Not to wait. Baptise the child as soon as possible. If it happens that you have no water, take three handfuls of sand and spill it over the child's head and repeat, as I have said, the servant of God the name is baptised in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If again you happen to have no sand, baptise it in the air and repeat the same in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Don't do what one crazy and foolish man did. Some people say, they, they say to me, oh, you sometimes say the word crazy so you're putting down mentally ill people. That's not, that's silly. Anyway the saint himself says, and St. John Chrysostom and St. Nikolai Vilamirovich and so many saints use worse expressions than crazy, what I say. I don't mean crazy as in the sense just crazy this silly for what they're doing in that sense. Don't do what one crazy and foolish man did. He said that he didn't want to become the Godfather and allowed the child to die unbaptized. Why would he do that? because there are certain spiritual laws which do not allow us. For example, a godparent cannot get married to the child's mother. It's forbidden. So this father said, if I baptise my own child, it means I won't. And he says here, he says it here. Um, He didn't want to leave his wife's bed, meaning that he thought that if he does baptise the child, then he cannot have sexual relations with his wife anymore. And then the saint says there are no obstacles in this case and when he wishes, he can join with his wife. So he said there that's not the same. I don't really understand it properly myself, but he said there's no obstacles. So a a parent can become the godparent and still be able to be married and continue. Similarly, if it happens that someone is dying and the priest hasn't reached him in time to hear confession, let him confess to anyone and die having confessed. These are what we call economy, things that are allowed by the church out of circumstances. Just like you can baptise a child when there's no priest, you can also hear someone's confession if that person has no priest. And then he says... There is hope that he or she will be saved. If, however, he receives communion without confession, it profits him nothing. If the person is well, not dying, and then they confess to someone, and then they go and receive communion, no, that's onto condemnation because that's not an emergency. You can go. You do you know, If you can go and commune with a priest, that I means you can confess to him as well. Now he talks to the priest. Holy priests, you must have large baptismal fonts in your churches so that the entire child can be immersed. The child should be able to swim in it so that not even an area as large as a tick's eye remains dry because it is from there, the dry areas, that the devil advances and this is why your children become epileptics and possessed by demons, have fear, anxieties, become unfortunate... Uh, they haven't been baptised properly. This is the way the Holy Fathers think. Now, some people say, oh, Sanko's master's backwards. It doesn't apply now and this and that. Um, but it's not just him. The child needs to be immersed fully three times. But today, I won't mention which churches, but there's one church what we call local church, the doctor church, that they don't baptise, they pour water on the child, like Catholics. Now, even the Greeks, some of them do this thing where they, as I said, the baby's usually like a giant because they leave it too long. They put the baby in some little bit of water and they go, the servant of God is baptised, and they just splash like that. And the child comes out half dry. The only church... To be truthful, that I've seen that do it beautifully, properly are the Russians. They get that child, and they go. The servant of God, John, say, is baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. The child takes a gulp after it comes up on the third go. That is important. Now you might say, well, what happens if my parish priest does it? Now some priests are stubborn. Now, I've told people, you've got to go, and they go to the priest, and the priest gets upset. I'll do it the way I want to do it. Is that true? You say, goodbye, I'll go to another church. Oh, but if I go to the Russians, I won't understand it. Who cares, as long as your child's baptised um, properly. Of course, there are traditional Greeks that do it properly, and there might be some traditional people in the different jurisdictions. You say, if you're not going to baptise my child fully in the water... I'm not going to get it done here. You do it once, and someone else does it, someone else does it, and puts some brains into them to stop this. And this is what's causing a lot of problems with children. They're not baptised properly. We're not Roman Catholics. We're not Protestants where they're poor. This is not the practice of Orthodox. It's called vaptisi, which is immersion, full immersion. And they say, oh, the child might drown. They don't drown, they don't drown at all. I've done it so many times, and because I'm not very well, I'm a bit slower. So I go one, two, three, they come out, some of them even smile. (laughs) Some of them have no problems at all, they don't even cry. Some might go, they swallowed a little drop of water. That's not drowning. But yet the same parents will take it to the local pool for swimming lessons. And what's the swimming lessons? They throw the baby in the water. <laughs> they float in the water and the baby's swimming. So I might get in trouble for it, but if your priest doesn't want to do it and you find a proper priest that's going to do it, I mean, they're all proper priests, but I mean a priest who's going to do it the proper way. Now, Russian church, as I said, eight days. Others do 40 days. Others do it even longer. Get it done as soon as possible. Who has the greater responsibility after birth? St. Paiso says the mother has greater responsibility than the father when it comes to raising children. Guess what the research is saying about um, child care and things like that. The mother, That actually was one research that I read, I probably won't get time to do it, it says the child needs the mother, full stop. Beautiful. That's, these people have been honest, even though they get persecuted for it, because it upsets the feminists. Now we're going to do some monkey business. Are you ready? Harry F. Harlow was an American psychologist who provided a new understanding of human behaviour and development through studies of social behaviour of monkeys, this is the 1950s. His research contributions in the area of learning, motivation and affection have major relevance for general and child psychology. In Harlow's initial experiments, infant monkeys were separated from their mother at six to 12 hours after birth and were raised instead with substitute mothers made either of heavy wire mesh or of wood covered with some soft cloth. Both mothers were the same size, but the wire mother had no soft surfaces, while the other mother was cuddly, covered with foam rubber and soft terry towel or terry cloth. Both mothers were also warmed by an electric light placed inside them. In one experiment, both types of surrogates, the, the wire and the cuddly one, were present in the cage. But only the wire mother was equipped with a nipple from which the infant could nurse. Infants received nourishment from the wire mother. In other words, the monkeys would go to her because she had the milk. Even when the wire mother was the source of nourishment, the infant monkeys spent a greater amount of time clinging to the cloth surrogate. These results led researchers to believe the need for closeness and affection goes deeper than a need for warmth. So the ones that would go to the wire after they finished the milk didn't stay with the wired monkey. They went back over to the one that was like with with, with the soft cloth and the rubber because it was cuddly. And it says that they saw, and it was very important, for the development of the monkeys. These monkeys raised by the dummy mothers engaged in strange behavioural patterns later in their adult life. Some sat clutching themselves, rocking constantly back and forth. Normal sexual behaviours were replaced by misdirected and uncommon patterns. So when these monkeys grew up, they couldn't have sexual intercourse properly with other monkeys. The females ignored approaching normal males. So the females were not interested at all. While the males made inaccurate attempts to copulate with normal females. So in other words, they were sexually dysfunctional. As parents, these female monkeys, that is the motherless mothers, as Harlow called them, were either negligent or abusive. When these, Later on, these monkeys became parents, if they did finally get pregnant. Negligent mothers did not nurse, comfort or protect their young, but they didn't harm them. They were just cut off that's it. So they were neglectful but they never harmed their children. The other group, the abusive mothers, violently bit or otherwise injured their babies to the point that many of them died. Because these female monkeys did not form an emotional bond to live mother monkeys when they were babies now as adult female monkeys they were unable to create a secure attachment with their own infants. So even when they did go to the cuddly monkey, the one that was a, wasn't real, was made out of rubber and had an electric line, and it was soft and cuddly, but it wasn't a proper mother, but they still preferred that to the wire, obviously. But those monkeys, when they grew up, became disturbed, Harlow's research suggests the importance of mother-child bonding. Not only does the child look to his or her mother for basic needs such as food, safety, and warmth, but also needs to feel ready, love, acceptance, and affection from the caregiver. What did the saints say earlier on? What were you here? Love and affection. Obviously, it doesn't apply like the saint said where he said, "You sit down with your child and speak to the child and things like. The monkeys don't speak to each other. What they want is love, acceptance and affection from the caregiver, from the mother. His findings show some long-term psychological effects with regard to the mother's attentiveness to the needs of her infant as either abusive or neglectful. So that's what happened. Those babies that were brought up like that, they either became abusive or neglectful. But they weren't parents. They couldn't become parents because they weren't given love and affection when they were young. Remember that the dummy monkeys had milk? They had the warmth. They had the milk. It sounds like today a lot of modern families. So they've got the child. They've got a warm cot. They've got the bottled milk. Some of them get breastfed, fair enough. But what don't they have? Love, attention and affection from their mothers because their mothers are too busy. They're too busy. I've dealt with married people for years and apart from a couple of exceptions that worked, the majority of those parents that I dealt with did not work and they still had trouble with, you know, trying to keep up with their children, but they still gave the child something more than the parents who work and have a lot of other interests. That Facebook is a destroyer of children. When parents are on the Facebook for hours. That's hours that they could have spent that with their children. Okay, if you want to have the stupid thing, do it for a little bit. Even though it's a source of vainglory. Like we're supposed to be fighting vainglory, not to show off. That's a struggle, we have to fight with vainglory. But now it's gone one step forward. Now it's like you're posting these pictures and these things continually. Today I'm going to the shops. Hi, that's great. You look beautiful and ravishing. Oh, you're so beautiful. You're such a special person. I just, uh, sometimes people have read me some stuff. I said, give me the bucket, please. <laughs> that's just, that just makes me sick. You're beautiful, you're this, you're that, you're a, you're a special person, even though the person could be 140 kilos, you're beautiful. And you might say, oh, you're making fun of overweight people. Look, the person's not stupid. You can't make people depress and fool them. It's like you're making fun of them. You look great. You look great. That, that's, that's another one. Anyway, how about your children? Do your children look great? Do you ever go to your children? Do you give attention to your children like you give to your friends? This experiment is quite frightening. And today, children do grow up sexually dysfunctional, they can't take care of their own children, disturbed, etc. They either grow up to become neglectful parents Or abusive parents and even the monkeys know better that they that this is this is bad if the monkeys could talk they would say I want my mother I don't want a rubber dummy with Terry Talon on it I want my mother what happened when that experiment came out is it got some controversy what was it cruelty to the animals. Not the significance obviously of the daycares maybe and all this type of things. No, no, no. Cruelty to the animals. Nothing to do with hmm, maybe women's not a good idea for them to work in the first years especially. No, cruelty to animals. This is how bad it's gone. Someone told me that they were watching a those talent shows, Americans Got Talent or Britain's Got Talent or whatever, and they there was a magician on there, and the magician had some trick with some goldfish. I don't know what he did. I think he made the goldfish disappear, maybe and all that. At the end, in the credits, at the end when they don't, they go, the goldfish did not experience any harm. In San Francisco, I think they've made a law that in the area, in the city, people are not allowed to have goldfish in a little bowl, or whatever they've got, because it's cruel. Something's wrong. There's more concern for the goldfish and the animals... And we don't believe in cruelty to animals, but soon it's going to get to the stage where if you eat fish, you're evil because you're killing a fish. There are people out there that just want you to eat grass and moo. Okay. Now, in my past talks, I said that there's a lot of lying going on in the media and in general society. In talk 65, I spoke about transgenderism. That they always got these kids that are crying and committing suicide because they're males, but they want to be females, or they're females, they want to be males, and there's on 60 Minutes there, I've seen them all, it's just so, with the music, the background music, it just makes you, you know, it's like you're going to melt and say, no, these people need to have sex changes as soon as possible, which they want to try and pass laws where children can start taking drugs and things from an early age. But still the law says no, not the child to be 18, at least, to start to make changes. And yet, in that talk in 65 on feminism, I actually did mention that there are a lot of doctors out there who, Johns Hopkins University, etc., who say it's a sickness. You're a male, you're a male, you're a female, you're a female. When people want to be the opposite sex, it's a sickness just like an anorexic person who looks in the mirror and says, I'm fat. That's what they, that's what they said. It's a mental illness, but they don't say that. So when they have these 60 Minutes shows with their music and their teas and things like that, they never have someone else from the opposite side to say, no, wait a second, we believe it's a mental illness. And these are top people. No. Because they don't want you to know, so I've mentioned that. Feminism, there's a lot of lies to do with that. Daycare, Oh no, it's normal, there's no problem, no problem with daycare. Children that go to daycare, children that don't go to daycare, it's all the same. Mothers that work, mothers that don't work, doesn't affect the children at all. The preschools, is the early education of children. If they go four, they go seven, makes no difference, all the same, no problems. Contraception, hardly nothing's been said that it's a killer of women, that it damages them. Abortions already went through it, medications... A lot of medications are bad. They don't hardly say anything because the pharmaceuticals are rich and powerful. They don't want you to know. I think there was one um, a hormone drug for women when they're going through menopause. I think it was that was a bad. But a lot of these things might hit the papers a bit, might be said in the news, but most of it is hidden. A lot of feminists hate the concept of breastfeeding because it reminds them that they are women. That they're different to men because men don't breastfeed. They don't, they don't like that because to them it's the thing is that we are the same. And they also say we can't go back to the old times in the 50s and 60s where women were stay at home, they took care of children, cooking and cleaning. That's the feminist mantra. I've seen on the 60 Minutes on Current Affairs and things like that where they talk about um, the fours and against daycare etc etc and it's all full of lies. But people don't know. People need to know that they're not telling you the truth. Now I have a lot of um, other material but I just didn't, I don't have the time now for that. Um, I'm very upset about that but Let's do some breastfeeding about breastfeeding. I did do it last time. I'm going to do it a bit, a bit more detail and then we'll try and get through to the research. St. Paisra says After the birth, a mother should breastfeed her children for as long as she can. A mother's milk provides a healthy base for the children. Now, I looked up on the internet, the World Health Organization and UNICEF strongly encourage breastfeeding through toddlerhood. Toddlerhood is one to three years old. And they say breast milk is an important source of energy and protein and helps to protect against disease during the child's second year of life. Then it says, our biology seems geared to a weaning age, that is when the child stops breastfeeding, of between two and seven. Now I mistakenly said in the previous talk that Elder Paisio said that in his village they used to breastfeed to seven, I made a mistake there. but. Let's see what he says. He says, oh, Someone said to him, Elder, when my child was born, I heard from doctors, friends and relatives various viewpoints concerning breastfeeding. Most had the opinion and tried to persuade us that breastfeeding should last only a few months. The elder, however, didn't agree and expressed his view with conviction, with strength. When I asked him about this topic, this is what he said. The saint answers, no blessed one, strongly, no blessed one, she should breastfeed the child. A mother's milk is the best. It is also a medicine so the child doesn't get ill. In my village, they would breastfeed the child until he was five or six years old. You see, children don't only receive milk They also receive love, consolation, tenderness, and security. In this way, they also develop a strong character and become strong in soul. Thus, it's the next talk about the children in in his village. Thus, when children grew up, they were strong and were able to catch tsetzes, that's how you say it, which, with one hand... Now, the Tzatzis had to look up A gangs of Turkish men, guerrillas, or, like, um, or Turkish irregular forces who would attack Greek villages and burn down their houses. They were horrible people, and the Greeks had to protect themselves from these beasts. And they said that... The, that he's saying the ones that were breastfed, they were so strong, they could grab these Turks and just knock them out with one hand. So, it looks like that is favourable to people breastfeeding to five to six. So let's have a look what he says now. Breastfeeding has many aspects to it. It is not just for the milk. While a woman is breastfeeding her child, it is unlikely that she will get pregnant. It is also a natural protection for the mother so that she doesn't become pregnant again right away. Breastfeeding is the best. Now that, for some people, and there's quite a few of them around, actually would say what's he talking about when he says that, the, that it's a natural contraception? Is he implying that couples can still have sexual intercourse during the breastfeeding when they don't have a chance of getting pregnant? And people say that's impossible. Sexual intercourse should only be when you're having children. Now, I think most of you will understand that he's saying it's a contraception. He should have said, if it's the opposite view, he should have said, during the time of breastfeeding, because you can't get pregnant, you shouldn't have sexual intercourse because sex is only when you have children. He didn't say that. And yet there are people who have these... Views which are mostly influenced from the Western Church, which are wrong. Now, there are some orthodox saints which also have the same views, but those views are not the consensus of the Church. Nowhere in any canons does it say that sexual intercourse should only be when you're having children. That doesn't say that. Nowhere in the canons. And you explain this and they say, no, 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 that's not right, that's not right. St. Paul says, the first purpose of marriage is to avoid fornication. Neither in the Bible, neither in the canons which I've read to you, nowhere does it say, especially when I did talk 63, 64, 68, 69, I think, none of them say that. And they spoke about that, about that topic. So this have got to be very, very careful. The saint says it clearly. It's a natural contraception. Contraception means that the couples having sexual intercourse and they're not gonna get pregnant, that's it. He doesn't say, stop. Now, the person says, Elder, how long should she breastfeed? As long as she can, for three or four years. My wife worked and was getting very tired. She had gotten ill and was increasingly exhausted. Everyone, the doctor, the parents, the mother-in-law, friends, were pressuring her arguing that the nursing should stop. She should stop breastfeeding. I went to the elder and again asked about this topic. The elder stood up, weighed the situation, thought about it, obviously praying, and said, let her nurse at least until the child is two years old. The elder insisted that nursing be continued at least for the first two years. So, I want you to note. first he says in his village, they nursed to five to six. Then he said, try and do as much as possible. How long but? Then the man said, "Ah, three to four. Now he's gone to two years old. What's going on there? Now, why those differences? Because this is to do with pastoral, whether the circumstances allow... There are different spiritual levels and it all is different depending on the times we live in, where we live, etc. Different times, different people. Now I'm going to read something from a person, the abbot, the, the current abbot of the monastery of Atopedi which is in Manathos. This is where he went to up to Russia there and he had some conversation with the clergy. This abbot was persecuted. He's the spiritual child of the spiritual child. So Elder Joseph, the Hesychist, he had some spiritual children. Elder Ephraim is still alive. Elder Haralambos of the monastery of the Nisil. He's passed away. And he also had another spiritual child who was also called Elder Joseph, uh, but he was he, a spiritual child, not the original Elder Joseph, but one of his spiritual children was named after Joseph. That Elder Joseph became the spiritual father of the monastery of Atopedi, and one of his spiritual children is now the current abbot, and his name is Archimandrite Efrem. Now, his monastery has over 120 monks, I've heard. Beautiful monastery. Uh, he was persecuted; they put him in jail because they said he stole money. And during the jail time that he was there, he converted all the inmates to come to Christ. Finally, he was released because it was all false and lies, as usual, what they do with the holy people. And he goes to Russia now and to other countries, and he's revitalising the monasticism of these countries, especially in Russia, very, very much respected. They love him there. And uh, he said, as spiritual fathers, he's talking to the priests, always encourage your spiritual children to have more children. But there needs to be discretion here too. One woman came to me in Athens. She had five children. She was both physically very thin and weak and psychologically not very strong and she did not want to give birth anymore. She went to her spiritual father and he told her, if you do not have children and live with your husband, if you don't want to have children and you want to continue to have sex with your husband, then you will never again in your life have communion. And he gave a high Hitler at the end. What does that mean? Is that what the church teaches? But yet there are spiritual fathers who have this type of thing that says, oh, no, no, if you don't want children, like I said earlier on, no more sex, no, you can't have sex. Even though that could affect the marriage and make them divorced, that doesn't matter to these people. They've got this wrong mind. Now, let's have a look what he said about that. He said, this is not a solution. And this part I underlined, and I want you to listen to it. This is what's called discernment. The church's teachings on pastoral theology, on how the church deals with the spiritual truth, not dogma, not dogma. Dogma doesn't change. This is to do with pastoral. And it all is different depending on the times we live in, where we live, etc. That's why we see canons. We see in the in the radar canons where it says a person who's done an abortion cannot commune three to five years. Let's just say in those days. Then somewhere else, in different times, different area, the canon says the woman who has committed an abortion cannot commune for ten years. Then you might go somewhere else and says a woman who's committed an abortion is not allowed to commune till she's on a deathbed. What's the difference? Different times, different people, etc. People don't understand that. They want to make the church's teachings on those matters the same as dogma. There's no compromise in dogma, but there is a difference with pastoral when you are helping someone. Anyway, this is what he said. Listen to this. Today, to have five children is like, in times of old, to have 15 children. And the church needs to view these women with great condescension, with love, with understanding. That, to me, is telling you everything. Having today four or five children is equivalent to back in the old days in the village when they used to have 15. Why? Because that was part of life in those days. They all did it. That's how it happened. Plus, those women were psychologically stronger. They were physically stronger. And they were brought up in an environment where everyone had children, so they were very familiar when they had children of how to take care of them. Today, people have a child and have never touched the baby before, a lot of them. Never touched the baby. Have no idea. Plus, society today looks down at you. You're actually a martyr if a person has more than a couple of children. You're a martyr. If you have four children, five children, you are a martyr. God will look at that person and bless them a million times because they're going against. It's very difficult. And don't forget as well, abortions are easy now. Back in the old days, they, that was very difficult. Either they didn't know about it or it was dangerous, whatever. Now they think it's safe and people would look down who had an abortion. But now, for a woman, it's just everyday part of life. So a woman can just easily, even without telling her husband, can walk into an abortion clinic, have an abortion, come home and cook a roast chicken. No one would even know. So because it's easy and a woman does not do that, in God's eyes, she is a martyr, and she is holy. And, as we said, because of these times, yes, five children is the same as someone having 15 children. That's what's called discernment, pastoral discernment. We don't look at things fanatically when it's to do with pastoral matters. There are also patron saints for breastfeeding, um, one of them is the milk giver, icon of the Most Holy Theotokos, I think that's in Athos. St Anne, Mother of the Theotokos, St Catherine of Alexandria, St Mamas of Caesarea, and St Marina. These are just some of the saints who help with breastfeeding. So not only do you get the prayers of the church, you can also pray to these saints if you're having difficulty uh, breastfeeding. Remember what St. Paisa said in the last talk, that a mother that is lazy and doesn't breastfeed transmits laziness to a child. Mothers no longer breastfeed their babies. Therefore, the children grow up without consolation. Who will give them consolation and love? Who will give them tenderness and love? And he says, not bottled milk. Their heart grows cold as they feed from a chilled bottle. But a bottle's warm, why why is he calling it chilled? Because a bottle cannot give love. That's why he calls it a chilled bottle. Later when they grow up, they look for consolation in a bottle, in bars. They drink to forget their anxiety. Anxiety from what? From not receiving love. There's something missing inside them. And become alcoholics. I would add to that obviously that they become drugs, drug addicts and other, other addictions too but he specifically says about alcoholism. If children don't receive tenderness, they won't have any to pass on to their children. Like those monkeys, they didn't receive love and affection, they weren't able to pass it on to their children, they, weren't, they couldn't be, be parents. It becomes a cycle, what we call a vicious cycle. Then the mothers come to me and cry, Father, Father, pray, I'm losing my child. Now, there is a study called early weaning and alcohol disorders in offspring. This study confirms a small but strong association between early weaning and increased risk of alcohol use disorders. They've done studies on this and they said, yes, it's true. The less that children are breastfed, the more chance of becoming alcoholics. So let's repeat what St. Peter says. If children don't receive tenderness, they won't have any to pass on to their children. It becomes a cycle. I read you last time all the benefits of breastfeeding and there was one thing I, I left out, but we haven't got time for that. The other book that I recommend is... Does the birth control pill cause abortions? Same author, Randy Alcorn, from the website Eternal Perspective Ministries, and that's www.e4egp4peterm4mary.org. I would advise, say for example, you did take the pill without knowing, and there's a chance that you've had a number of abortions. Obviously you repent, You stop using the pill and you ask the priest for repentance but of your own you can do more. You can buy that book, buy a box, buy two boxes depending on how much money you've got and spread them and that's fruits of repentance. That will help you but it will also help the unbaptized children that died. Now the last part that I want to do is I went through, and f- some my helpers, went through and found some articles and studies on breastfeeding. Breastfed children, one article said, are less likely to develop ADHD later in life, study suggests. In there I chose the two parts. Children who were bottle fed at three months of age were found to be three times more likely to have ADHD than those who were breastfed during the same period. While researchers do not yet know why breastfeeding has an impact on the future development of ADHD, it could be due to the breast milk itself or the special bond formed between mother and baby during breastfeeding. What do we know? What do we learn today? It's both. So children are born and they grow up with this ADHD when, when their minds are all over the place and they put them on drugs. What's going on there? Well, they've seen there is a relationship between breastfeeding and ADHD. The more children are breastfed, the less they've got that, if, if at all. Another article, the longer babies breastfeed, the more they achieve in life, major study. This was a Brazilian study which started in 1982. It was a 30-year study. They followed children and that were breastfed, etc. found, and who weren't, or whatever they did, found those who had been breastfed proved to be more intelligent had spent longer at school, in other words, they were able to stay at school longer and be educated, and earned more money than those who had not been breastfed for long periods of time. And the longer they were breastfed as a baby, the better they tended to be doing in life. That's a 30-year study. So, they're smarter, they tend to do better at school, they stay longer at school, they earn more money, and they do better at life in life. The risks of not breastfeeding for mothers and infants was another article, and it said in there, not breastfeeding is associated with health risks for both mother and infants. Epidemiologic data suggests that women who do not breastfeed face higher risk of breast and ovarian cancer, obesity, type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, and cardiovascular disease. That's a lot of things there. And yet the feminists say, no, no, don't do that. Go to work. Go to work as soon as possible. So feminists are the worst enemies of women. The next article, the risks of formula feeding versus the benefits of breastfeeding. What did it say in there? Formula feeding increases your child's risk of getting sick. Another article, a mother's milk and mental health does not being breastfed set a child back in body or mind. And I found a few things in there. Breastfeeding has psychological benefits, including increased cognitive development, the way the child thinks, Breastfed children are less likely to have behavioural problems. Another one. When a baby comes out of the womb, it's important for them to be able to hear the mother's heartbeat. The position babies are in when they are breastfed is very calming and helps to bond mother and child and missing out on that closeness can create trust issues. Remember that the child for nine months heard that, that beating of the heart. So when the child grows up, it doesn't hear the beating of the heart if it's in the childcare. It doesn't hear the beating of the heart when it's in the cot. It doesn't hear the beating of the heart when you've got it like a five-month-old baby in front of a TV. But when you breastfeed the child, it also is, is being soothed, it's given love, affection, but also hears the heart. Another article. Breastfeeding linked with lower childhood blood pressure, American Heart Association. I'm just going to give you the title. Next one. Breastfeeding helps children climb social ladder in adulthood. They become more successful. Another article. Breastfeeding all newborns could save 800,000 lives a year. They're saying that more children will live if they're breastfed. Wherever that study was done. I think it was UK. Three quarter, another study. Three quarters of US babies start off on breast milk. Less than half still are breastfed after six months. Why? Mothers going back to work a lot of times. Let me tell you why children can develop mental problems. One, hereditary. When there's a history of mental illness in a family, it's highly probable that that child will have mental issues. Elder Porfirio says that schizophrenia is handed down from even grandparents etc from their sins that's a spiritual explanation the doctors don't understand sins but they do understand that it is passed down so a child can have can be already determined they're going to have mental issues as soon as they're conceived now The other reasons, which I read in Mayo Clinic and some other sources, that during the woman's pregnancy, through trauma of the mother, through some sickness, medications that the mother's taking, even food allergies, there's a lot of reasons why the development of that child in the womb can affect its brain and other parts of the body. especially, I think, diabetes and things like that. So we've got hereditary, then we've got all what happens to a mother during the pregnancy affects the child. That's why the ancients say a man, when they were going to choose a, a woman to marry, they wanted to marry someone who was strong and was going to be able to carry a pregnancy, this is what they used to look at, and was able to be a mother. They didn't marry sick people. And the same with the woman. Before she married a man, she wanted to know, is that man going to be responsible? Is that man going to be able to work? Is that etc.? Cetera, et cetera? They don't look at that now. They just say, oh, no, I'm in love, and that's, what that, and that's what matters. It doesn't matter anymore. And people are marrying people that are sick. You know, you want to have a family with someone who has issues. How are those, How is that person going to be able to... Take their responsibilities and be able to hold a child or take care of a child or work with the husband and things like that. This thing, oh, as long as we have got love, then all makes them. It doesn't make, um, the, it makes a difference in that usually people divorce after one, two, three years now. The criteria is as long as I feel fuzzy in my heart, as long as I've got love in my tummy, oh, it's the main thing for me. I'm going to get married. So hereditary, as I just said, the next thing is during the pregnancy and, of course, after the birth can affect the child as well. So we can see there's a lot of things there. So a child can grow up. Sometimes people don't know. Is it from hereditary? Something happened in the womb? or something after. And sometimes you can't help it. If it's hereditary, that's out of your control. If it's within the womb, you try. But something can happen unexpected. An upset or something. The woman's father dies and she gets upset. That can affect the child. But you can control what happens to the child when it's born as well. That's especially affection, love, all these things. Now, I gave you an example before, and I'll give you another example. Say that child, when they were conceived, there's hereditary problems. So there's already a history of mental illness. Then, during the pregnancy, the woman was not in a good state, problems, that's going to add. Then, when the child is born, there could be other problems. However, the mother breastfeeds the child and tries to give the child as much love as possible for years. That child can still have mental issues because of the hereditary etc from the womb however they are diminished quite considerably because the child is being breastfed and taken care of. But imagine If the child's got hereditary issues, problems from the womb, and after it's born, problems, you are looking at a disaster. So it's very important to take care of that child during the womb, as much as you can, what's in your control, but especially after the baby's born. I saw an example of a person who the mother of the child had a history where, in the family, where there was a whole whole group of schizophrenics. Sorry about that, but it was. Her father, the father's siblings, some grandparents. It was like a whole lot of people that had schizophrenia and sicknesses. She got married. Strictly speaking, probably she shouldn't have, but anyway, she got married. Then she has children those children show signs. However, when those children have been breastfed and taken care of to some extent to the best she can, that person has a better chance in life. A lot of, a lot of um, the problems, it could have been sorry worse if those children were not breastfed and taken care of for years. And I've seen that. You can see the children as they're growing up, they're closed, they've got issues, they're in their own little world, that's from their mental issues. But when they're, the more they're breastfed, this and that, there's something there, like I said before, they tend to go more to the mother, they'll be a bit more open to the mother at times, not always, most of the time they're in their room, but at least there is that connection. While the ones that weren't breastfed, the ones that weren't taken care of, they're in that room continually or they're completely cut off from the, from the mother completely cut off, in their own world. I think that's all I have got time for. I had a lot of other things. Next talk, God willing, if we get through, maybe next June, January, I'm going to do a lot from the Saints again, part three, but an emphasis this time on childcare as well. A lot of research on that. I'm going to show you how the research agrees exactly what the saints say. No, sorry, they come to conclusions, but the saints' conclusions are even better than their conclusions. But there is a war on women. And I also read another article, a war on children. When you, when you deprive a child of, a, of love, it's like they're going through a war and they're affected. It's like they're in a war zone. They're growing up with no love, with no affection, no one there, and they're in their own little world, and that explains why a lot of them are become addicts, that a lot of them have to be on drugs, and a lot of them are psychologically disturbed. There's a high rate of suicide. There's all these things that happen in the next um, talk... There was one part which said that um remember people taking their children when their children are very young. There's one which is an article called Eyes Wide Shut in the Childcare Debate, meaning that people have shut their eyes, they don't want to know. They don't want to know the truth. They want to just be able to take their child to childcare. Australians are working the second longest hours of all countries in the West. Doctors are reporting unprecedented numbers of women presenting with undiagnosed illnesses, largely relating to exhaustion. There is an epidemic of postnatal depression. Publications like The Melbourne Child inform parents about psychologists who specialise in the treatment of depression for children under five. For children under five. Epidemic. No, we're not gonna go back to the 50s and 60s. No, no, no. We're gonna live now in in these beautiful years where the children are so good and the mothers are really healthy and happy. They're not happy and the children aren't healthy. Unprecedented number of women go into doctors with undiagnosed illnesses, which a lot of it comes from stress and anxiety and exhaustion. There are now psychologists who specialise in the treatment of depression for the under fives. And children being put on Ritalin and all these drugs, very young, very young. Any questions? Yes. Um, you know how you were saying about the lady who
2: um, had the three children, and the second one, he would cling to her. Um, I'm just wondering. Um, my sister has a three-year-old child, and she's very attached
1: to her. Like Forgive the, the graphics,
0: but like my sister can't even go to the toilet. She's yeah. The toilet, because the child always wants to be with her. And someone said to me, that's not normal. What's your well a lot of these people they talk about what's called control crying where they say you've got to teach the child not to all the time want to be held so you leave them cry for a while and all these stupid things Now my experience and from what we read tonight I believe that when a child's very clingy like those children that were brought up who have a history in their family of schizophrenia that there's something wrong with those children and they are very needy. They're very scared. They've got a lot of problems. And therefore, that's why they want they're very clingy. They're very clingy because there's something wrong. And the more you hold them, the more you take care of them, the better it is. They're not doing that because they're being silly. And
2: she
0: yeah. Is that yeah. Another factor? They're breastfeeding, the child's got anxiety, who knows what the mother what happened to the mother when she was pregnant, and there's a lot of, lot of issues. But there's an emphasis there on the child that wants to be picked up and held. It means that the child has needs. Possibly the more you do it, the more it will come down. As the elders said in the beginning, one of the elders, was it Paisios or one of them, said... When the child's crying, all you've got to do is hold the child, show love, and it calms down. And if a child's very clingy, then there's a problem. Hmm? Would you imagine if that child went to daycare, so that would have been... I, if that child went to daycare, it would be a disaster. I'm going to leave you with this. One of the books, which I'll go into more detail later, says, I have a lot of clients who say that they are putting their baby into nursery because it needs stimulation, and actually, that is not true. She says, what babies need is to make an attachment to particular people and they need someone to help them manage their emotions and their feelings and their bodies and how to cope with stress and how to manage themselves. All of this is about being with a responsible person, someone who soothes when you need soothing, someone who plays when you need someone to play with you. This cannot be done in daycares. At nurseries, the turnover is so great, the children can't attach with even one of the carers. That is very difficult to achieve, that kind of relationship of trust. They need a person, the mother. Plus, isn't there a professional like, have to keep the boundaries as well, they teach you? Yeah, I think they, yeah. And there's one part here where it says that the children have to be taught how to play with their toys, how to share, how to deal with some problems. That can't be done in daycares. And that's why those children at the end can't deal with problems later on in life. It's just so much, I can't even go through it now. I don't feel well. Well, we'll do it again. We'll do it, we'll do it next time, God willing. Um, I gave you a little taste of the next talk. And even if you don't send your child to daycare, you're going to learn how the child needs attention. You don't just give the toys and say, here we are, play. And it also says in there, they go, oh, the child needs social interaction. They don't need that. That's not what the child needs. The child needs its mother. Not the social interaction. That does not... Help the child. Children don't tend to socialise. They don't know how to play with other children. That's that thing's not important. That comes more when they get a bit older, like six or seven. Children need, more than anything, a mother. Not toys, not social interaction, not games and things like that. A mother. Okay, stand up. Maybe the talk will be next January and around the Australia Day, the Sunday before, but you'll get the advertisement. Through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, the God of us and save us. Amen. Thank you. Okay. Have some to eat.
1: Ωφελά, 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 της ευρίας των χωρών οικουμένης αυλαίσμα της θεολογίας των πίστη και Χριστού φίλων νησιών Πορφύριον τιμήσω μεν πίστη τον φλίδι χαρίσμα των εκπαίδεως δαιμονώντας καληκτρούνται και ασθενείς η άτε πίστη Doxato de dokkoti sisin, doxato se aia santi, toksä toen mundi dia su pasini amaa.